Welcome back to the Stronger by Science podcast. I'm Greg. And I'm Lindsay. And we have another great show for you today. In fact, we are doing our very first interview episode with this current hosting lineup. Uh, And we're excited to welcome Beth Squarecki onto the podcast today. Uh, Beth is the health editor at Lifehacker and a certified personal trainer. She's also the author of two books, Genetics 101, From Chromosomes and the Double Helix to Cloning and DNA Tests, Everything You Need to Know About Genes, and Outbreak, 50 Tales of Epidemics that Terrorize the World. She's also an accomplished practitioner of the odd lifts, which I think is very cool. Um, She competes in the USAWA, which is the U.S. All-Around Weightlifting Association, and has a record 510-pound Denny deadlift. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, I can put the the video of that in the show notes. It is extremely impressive. Um, and I've already told Beth this, but uh, just on a personal level, she is one of my very favorite health and science writers. So I'm thrilled to be sharing a conversation with her on the show today. Uh, so, Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I'm a longtime fan of Stronger by Science, so this is very exciting for me, too. Thank you. Okay, so when I reached out about you coming on the show, um, just just as a little background for listeners, um, I, I've been following Beth's writing for a long time, and I saw she, she mentioned on Reddit that uh, she was interested in maybe starting a podcast. So I was like, hey, you know, that's that's a lot of effort. Would you have any interest in just coming on ours instead? And yeah, I I trust her work enough that I was willing to just say like, hey, is there anything you want to talk about that you think would be cool? One of the topics she brought up was cortisol. And it seems to be a pretty intriguing and timely topic because it's it's a subject that's been blowing up on social media recently, uh, in particular TikTok, uh, and there seems to be a lot of of interesting claims, to put it, <laughs> that's a good uh, way to put it. politely, <laughs> or just blatant misinformation, to yeah. put it more directly. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that that would be a good topic to discuss. Yeah. Before we get into all of those crazy claims, though, uh, let's talk about what cortisol actually is. Sure. So... Um, yeah, so I've been looking at a lot of TikTok like health misinformation for and writing about it at work and cortisol is coming up a lot. Um and it's very often given as like this sort of like this pithy explanation about like here's this here's the reason for all of the problems that you're having in your life and here's sometimes they tell you what to do about it and sometimes they don't. Usually what to do about it is to like follow the link in their bio to buy their supplements. Um, of course. <laughs> but cortisol is a real hormone. Um, that is involved in our body's response to stress. And there really are disorders where it can be dysregulated. So um, so to get to get into what cortisol actually is, um, because I think maybe not a lot of these TikTokers really actually know. They're, they're repeating things that they've heard that sound kind of good and then kind of mixing and matching with whatever it is they'd like to say. So, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not just TikTok. Like I'm going to pick on TikTok because I spent a while like scrolling through some of these TikToks and sort of like collecting examples of things that they were saying. But um, like all the social platforms kind of blend together. Like somebody will take a, a a video from TikTok and post it in a reel on Instagram. And then somebody will show up on Reddit asking about something they heard on YouTube. And um, so it's just one giant mess. Um, 
Mm-hmm. That's going to be very fun to sort through. And, and people just share the same content on multiple platforms. Just mm-hmm. e- every social media platform is a short form vertical video site now. So yeah. people post one thing on TikTok and just share it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they're all they're all stealing each other's format. So like TikTok or Instagram became Snapchat and, you know, Twitter has <laughs> Clubhouse and that, I don't know, whatever. But um, the, the other funny thing, um, not to digress too much, the other funny thing is that like any health myth that has ever existed is on TikTok. So like you can take something that people were saying a hundred years ago in that has been like thoroughly debunked a hundred years ago and just look it up on TikTok and they're on TikTok telling you why this is the sort, like this is how you're going to snatch your waist today. So, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, so let's get into cortisol itself. Okay. So cortisol is a hormone that's made by the adrenal gland. And so your, I, I find the etymology of this kind of interesting. So your your adrenal glands are located on top of your kidneys. So adrenal, meaning on the kidney in Latin. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so adrenaline is one of the hormones they produce. So adrenaline from the adrenal gland. Um, and But we actually, like medically, we call that hormone epinephrine. This is not cortisol, different hormone. But um, I, I learned today why why there are two different names for it. So in in England, in the UK... They even medically, they call it adrenaline, but here mm-hmm. it's like colloquially adrenaline and medically we talk about epinephrine, and norepinephrine. And it turns out that's because the first person to make and market a, I don't know if you marketed it, but the first person to make an extract of the adrenal gland that was supposed to contain this stuff, he called it epinephrine because it means the same thing. Epinephron means on top of the kidney. That's just the Greek yeah. instead of the Latin. And so he, he oh, thought okay. Greek sounded better. He marketed this thing or or studied it or whatever. And it didn't work. He just fucked up the extraction. There was no adrenaline or epinephrine in it. Mm. Um, meanwhile, somebody else did it better, trademarked it as adrenaline in the U.S. And so scientists in the U.S. Um, said, well, let's not use the trademark name. We'll call it epinephrine. And then over in England, they were going to do the same thing. And then somebody made the argument, well, epinephrine is the thing that we know doesn't work. So let's call it the other name. And so now we have two <laughs> names for the same hormone. Oh, that's not confusing at all. No. Very good. Very good stuff. And I mean, I do. Th- this is this is one of my just like very like particular hobby horses. I really wish that for like medical and scientific applications, we could just decide whether we wanted to do Greek or Latin roots. Mm-hmm. Um because, yeah, like renal for kidneys and also like nephro or nephron for kidneys. Like it's. Yeah, you go yeah. to the nephrologist to get your renal whatever checked. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just <laughs> just choose one or the other. Yeah. If, if you're going to try to stake a claim on that, there's also all of the uh, so-called Latin names for species of things, which are all mm-hmm. mixed up sometimes in the same word. They'll take like a, a Greek root word and a Latin ending or vice versa. It's a mess. Good luck. It, it really is. I mean, like we already use kind of a Germanic and Romance blended language as kind of our base speech. So for for scientific and medical applications, just just choose either Greek or Latin. We don't need to blend those two as well. We love to blend stuff together. Well, good luck with getting everybody on board with that. <laughs> I, I have no plans to. Who cares? Whatever. <laughs> OK, so as for this hormone. OK, so people have probably heard of adrenaline or epinephrine. Um, and that is made in the inner part of your adrenal gland. So it's called the adrenal medulla. Um, and it makes epinephrine, norepinephrine. It's mostly regulated by your nervous system. 
Um, and then around the adrenal medulla, you have this cortex. Okay, so this entire thing is sitting on top of your kidney like a hat. So you have two of them. Um, and in this cortex, there are, here's some more fun um, etymology. So it's in the cortex, meaning like the shell of the adrenal gland. And so these are your corticosteroids because they are steroid hormones made in the cortex mm-hmm. of the adrenal gland. Um, and so there are three layers of the cortex and the middle layer is the one that makes cortisol. So the other two, just to mention them briefly, there is um, the innermost layer, the zona reticulata makes DHEA, which gets made into um, sex steroids like um, testosterone. And then the outermost layer is the zona glomerulosa, and that makes the mineralocorticoids like aldosterone, which um, it's a it's a hormone that talks to the kidneys, and then the kidneys have a hormone that talks back to it, and they regulate um, electrolytes and water. Mm-hmm. So this middle section... Um, makes the glucocorticoids, of which cortisol is the main one and the one we'll be talking about. Um, And they are so-called because they are from the cortex and they regulate blood glucose. They can increase the amount of glucose in your blood, Mm -hmm. which I I think epinephrine also does um, a little bit differently. Um, So cortisol is considered a, is, is often called a stress hormone, which is true. That's not wrong, but it's also only part of the picture. So sometimes, especially in these TikToks, people will talk about being in fight or flight mode. And Mm -hmm. when we think of the fight or flight response, we're usually thinking of epinephrine, um, which is something that like our body can sort of release and use very quickly. But if we have a longer period of stress, um, cortisol is usually involved in managing that stress response for a longer period of time, Mm -hmm. you know, like hours to days to weeks and that includes things, not just like stress, like, oh, I had a hard day at work, I'm stressed, but like if your body is undergoing, you know, an illness or you had surgery right. or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Um, in pregnancy, your cortisol levels go up to like two to four times normal because it's like a stressful time for your body. Your body has a lot of shit to get done. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of that. And this is essential for life. You can actually die if you do not have enough cortisol to manage these stressful situations absolutely and and it uh it it also helps with sort of like sensory regulation of stressful things as well like one of one of the things implicated in the acute cortisol response is it decreases sensations of like pain and discomfort um and there are also like some perceptual changes that occur if if someone were to use like drugs that mimic the glucocorticoids like it it helps with some of that stuff as well so like both both the increase in cortisol like it it helps with glucose regulation but it also helps with regulations of sensations that you might experience during a stressful situation as well so it's it's uh it's good for for energetics and also just kind of like good for the vibes like it it broadly helps you feel better yeah and i've, I've heard a um an endocrinologist describe it as a euphoric feeling when somebody goes on um, corticosteroids, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you, they take, you know, like, cortisone or prednisone or something, which are all in the same family. And he was bringing it up in the case of somebody who, like, doesn't need these drugs but thinks they do, thinks there's something wrong with their adrenal gland and takes them and feels better. And he's like, well, everybody feels better when you take right. corticosteroids. Yeah. So, to talk about a couple of other things that cortisol does, um, it does a lot of things. And... Um, And so one thing it does, one reason why it's often used as a medication is it suppresses inflammation. Um, It also increases your blood sugar. 
Um, it tells your liver to do gluconeogenesis, making glucose out of um, certain amino acids and certain fatty acids. Um, it tells your muscles to stop taking up glucose from the blood because it's trying to keep blood glucose high. And then your muscles can then start breaking down protein to use as fuel. So you can get, mm -hmm. like in extreme cases, you can get some muscle wasting. Um, and um, it regulates blood pressure. And if you don't have enough of it, you can have something called an adrenal crisis, which can lead to shock and seizures and coma and eventually death. So mm -hmm. um, some, something interesting I learned while researching this was that um, people who have a deficiency in their adrenal gland where they can't make enough cortisol, like Addison's disease, um, if their symptoms are mild, they're usually kind of fine. But then if they have an illness or a surgery or something like that, that's when they can go into this adrenal crisis because they don't have the cortisol to manage it. Yeah. And so if you know that you have this issue and like you're taking extra medications for this, you have to take more of it if you know you are going to have a surgery or if you have like a medical issue. Um, you actually have to increase your your dose of cortisone um, so that you don't die. That that is that is very interesting. That that isn't something that I had encountered before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it it makes sense if if uh, you have an important hormone in your body that helps regulate the stress response that you either don't produce or don't produce enough of. I mean, I, I guess it's the same thing as like a diabetic needing to take a higher dose of insulin uh, if they're going to eat a really carb rich meal. Like it's right. it's the same thing. Like. But in this case, the carburage meal is just a really stressful experience you're going to have to go go through. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would need to take more of it exogenously. But, yeah, that, that isn't something that that had ever occurred to me before. That's that's really cool. Um, so cortisol fluctuates during the day. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute. Um, so it is lowest. It's usually lowest at night when you go to bed and it rises. It starts to rise as it gets close to the morning. Um, and then it actually keeps on going and it tends to peak a little bit after you wake up. Um, and so if you're ever getting your cortisol tested or your adrenal function tested, um, they have to take this into account. So you can't just take a cortisol measurement at some random time of day. Um, mm -hmm. there are also, there's also a type of test that like naturopaths and chiropractors will order sometimes that like takes salivary cortisol at a bunch of different points, which gives you a really cool looking graph that endocrinologists are like that. That's useless, though. That that's not what matters. So, um, so in endocrinology, well, so if they do want to take a test like that, they'll usually do it at night when it's lowest mm -hmm. to see what is the level when it's as low as it gets. Um, but also, if you're going to be testing your adrenal function, and I think in a little bit we'll get into why people might think they need to test their adrenal function. Um, yeah, I, I just realized there's something that I didn't talk about that will be good to talk about right now, which is what controls your adrenal gland, what tells your adrenal gland to make this hormone. So a lot of hormones, a lot of glands in the body, they make a hormone, but they also have a hormone that tells them when to do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, and so one of the things that an endocrinologist would test if you said, hey, I think I have an issue with my cortisol, is they would give you this hormone. So it's called ACTH. They would give you a synthetic version of it and then see whether your cortisol levels rise after you get this hormone. And they should go up within a few minutes of getting this hormone. And this brings up something else that's like a buzzword you'll see in some of these TikToks, the HPA axis. Mm -hmm. Cortisol comes from your adrenal gland. Your adrenal gland gets its instructions through this ACTH hormone, adrenocorticotropic hormone, mm -hmm. from the pituitary. The pituitary is this little gland that's kind of in the middle of your head, like right under your brain. 
And that gets its instructions from the hypothalamus, which is part of your brain. So your brain tells the pituitary, we're going to need some cortisol. The pituitary tells the adrenal gland, start making some cortisol. Mm -hmm. And so that is your HPA axis, your hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal gland axis. And the last thing I wanted to mention about this is, because like I said, it is a real, there, there are real medical conditions. So there are disorders where you can have too little cortisol, like Addison's disease, which is usually caused by like an autoimmune kind of thing, destroying the adrenal gland, or sometimes by just taking so much endogenous cortisone that your, your body is like, whatever, I don't need to make it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other one that I think is going to come up a bit as we talk about these TikToks, which is Cushing syndrome. Um, there's Cushing's disease and Cushing's syndrome, Cushing's disease being one of the causes of it. And Cushing syndrome is when you have too much cortisol. And one of the typical causes is a pituitary tumor that is making the pituitary send out this hormone, this ACTH, so that it's constantly telling your adrenal gland to make cortisol, even when you have too much cortisol in your bloodstream already. Oh, and then just one last thing. There are some conditions that aren't Cushing's or cancer where you might have pathologically high cortisol, and they include like very high stress states that your body might be in, including alcohol use disorder, late stage chronic kidney disease, um, major depression and anxiety, and some things like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so how would someone go about testing for like one of these actual cortisol related diseases versus... Um, yeah, just kind of like the nebulous stuff you see on social media where, where people just think like, oh, I generally don't feel good, so I'm just going to assume my cortisol is out of whack. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the things that, according to social media, tell you your cortisol is high can include so many things, some of which might it, – it's funny when they have these lists of symptoms because some of them are just like symptoms of Cushing syndrome, and then some of them are just like completely normal things, like you're tired sometimes, but – endocrinologists can like they have tests for it right they can do like the nighttime salivary cortisol i know if they think there's an issue with your adrenal glands not making enough cortisol they can give you this hormone the acth and then see how your cortisol changes in response and there can be other stuff it can be very um difficult to diagnose some of these things and figure out exactly what's going on but um, i will say if you think you have an issue go to an endocrinologist not a chiropractor or a person who says they are a hormone health coach <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Greg, since a lot of the claims about cortisol are uh, claims about the effects of high cortisol, could you talk a little bit about normal cortisol levels and the amount of variability within the range of normal cortisol levels um, and maybe some of the things that influence those levels? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I there, there there will be a part of what I'm going to say that might steal the thunder of the TikTok stuff a little bit later, but we we wanted to kind of front load this episode with like actual solid scientific information so people are like slightly inoculated against some of the claims that that they will encounter later yeah. in this episode. Um but yeah, so so just to talk about this a little bit more, um if someone were to be concerned that they have uh, like high cortisol and that's causing all sorts of problems for them, one thing just to note is that the reference range of cortisol is very wide. Um, and, and for everything I'm about to talk about here, there will be sources linked in the show notes. Um, 
But yeah, like the reference range for free cortisol, which is kind of the unbound bioactive form of cortisol in your blood, is like 0.12 to 1.065 micrograms per deciliter, which is what, like a eight, nine fold range um, at 8 a.m., which is when it would often be tested. Um, and the reference range for total cortisol in adults is like 5 to 23 micrograms per deciliter in the morning. Um and like three to 13 micrograms per deciliter uh, in the afternoon. So, you know, you're looking at reference ranges that cover about a fourfold range. And so, you know, I if, if someone were to get a test done and they're like, oh, like my cortisol is slightly above kind of the midpoint of the, of the reference range, that wouldn't necessarily even be that scary just because normal cortisol levels do cover such a wide range. Right. Um, and just like another thing to note, uh, and, and this is the part that's like slightly stealing the thunder of, of what is to come, is a lot of the claims that people make on social media about cortisol and ideas around like, do you have high, low cortisol? You don't want to go to the doctor. You don't want to take a test. But like, how can you how can you know just from how you feel? Um, a lot of it is related to like feeling groggy in the morning and like more energetic at night. Um, something that I think I would more so interpret as just generally having a like a late shifted chronotype. Um, but that's something that people talk about a lot. And I think a lot of those claims and uh, just like general misunderstandings about, um, yeah, just like how you might feel uh, related to like high versus low cortisol levels earlier, late in the day. I think a lot of that stuff could just be debunked or better understood just by doing a really quick skim of the Wikipedia page for the cortisol awakening response. <laughs> Um, cause that, that's what a lot of it comes down to. Like the idea, uh, like Beth mentioned is that there is like diurnal variation in cortisol levels. It's usually highest around the time you wake up peaking 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up and then gradually declining throughout the day. So, um, like a lot of the claims are that, oh, like if your cortisol is fucked up, like it's way too low in the morning and then it's high at night and that's why you're tired in the morning, wired at night, whatever. Um, but like there is also much like the reference range for cortisol being pretty broad, there's quite a bit of just completely normal inter-individual variation in terms of the cortisol awakening response. So after awakening, um, in general, you see about a 50% increase in blood cortisol levels uh, within 30 to 60 minutes after uh, after waking. But like the normal variation is like 38 to 75 percent. So not everyone has the same uh, cortisol awakening response. And that cortisol awakening response is only observed in about three quarters of healthy people. So, you know, there are folks that don't have that. And I don't think like all of the reasons for that are totally known. Um, Yeah, so it's there's wide variability and it's not universal even in healthy people. Another thing to note is that like a lot of the claims about cortisol are related to like, oh, like you're doing these things that's like fucking up your cortisol, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but one thing to note about it is that it does seem to be relatively stable within an individual and uh, at least partially genetically determined or at least influenced 
So um, like the diurnal cortisol pattern that you see in an individual does tend to be relatively stable over time. And twin studies show that its pattern um, does appear to be heritable. So uh, this is too big of a topic for this episode. But like there's there's a difference between like just a standard correlation and heritability estimates not worth getting into here. But the heritability of uh, like diurnal cortisol response, like diurnal cortisol pattern is like 0.4 to like 0.48. So, like, it does seem to be not completely, but significantly heritable, um, suggesting that it is probably at least to some extent innate and not just, like, purely caused or determined by lifestyle factors. Um, So, yeah, like, lifestyle factors do probably influence it, but it does seem to be at least partially innate and likely linked to chronotypes. Just some other things about the cortisol awakening response. So one of the things we'll encounter is that a lot of claims related to cortisol are like, oh, you're doing all of these things that stress you out and like that's what's fucking up your cortisol response and leading to a to feeling tired in the morning, wired at night, whatever. But like a lot of stressful things do seem to cause an increase in the cortisol awakening response. So for instance, like waking up earlier in the morning than you're typically used to, um, causes an increase in the cortisol awakening response uh like yeah uh there's been studies on nurses um suggesting that like the time that they have to go in for shifts can affect the cortisol awakening response especially really early shifts but that seems to mostly be linked to just like less or worse quality sleep the night before but once again it's not like they're doing something stressful and that's causing a muted uh, awakening cortisol response. Again, like tired in the morning, wired at night, you see an increase in the awakening cortisol response. Um, But then like other random stuff that you wouldn't necessarily kind of clock as a major stressor um, can decrease it. So for instance, uh, low frequency traffic like noise throughout the night can decrease the awakening cortisol response. So, like, essentially, it's it's relatively complex, and the basic narrative of, hey, you're stressed, that's going to fuck up your cortisol, lead to the smaller cortisol awakening response, that is not universally true. And also, like, another thing to note about it is, like, a lot of cortisol-related claims can be relatively distinct, so... Things related to diurnal pattern of cortisol release and like total cortisol levels, those things aren't necessarily associated. Um, Like I'll link this in the show notes, but cortisol awakening response isn't associated with total daily cortisol like area under the curve. So uh, even if someone were to have a cortisol related issue, um, like you wouldn't have every cortisol related issue, which is often how this stuff is presented. And also, like, just the idea that stress is, like, a cause of all of this is, like, it's probably related to some extent, but the impact of stress on both total cortisol levels and cortisol awakening responses varies. So, like, chronic stress uh, is associated with both an increase and a decreased cortisol awakening response. So, you know, it very well could be that... um, 
you know, you're going through a stressful period for weeks, months, years, whatever, and you wake up like bolt awake, like you have a really like exceptionally robust morning cortisol response, or it could, um, it seems like kind of burn you out such that it becomes muted over time. So there's not just one path that that could take. And then, like I mentioned before, like a lot of this stuff just does seem to be related to chronotypes. And so like people could debate cause and effect here, but as one would expect, people who are kind of like morning types, early birds, like early shifted chronotypes do tend to show a larger cortisol awakening response than like evening types or night owls. Um, and a lot of the cortisol fear mongering would say, oh, like if you're a night owl, that means there's something wrong with you and your cortisol shit is fucked up. But it could just be that that's like an innate difference between individuals um, that is totally benign and people are trying to problematize something that's relatively normal. Essentially, the, the point I want to make is that it's relatively complex and that there's a there's a wide range in just normal cortisol levels. Um, cortisol awakening response isn't particularly well associated with just total cortisol levels. Like you could have a robust cortisol awakening response and low cortisol. Uh, you could have, or like high total cortisol and vice versa. You could have a low uh, cortisol awakening response and either high or low total cortisol. Like those two things aren't particularly predictive of each other. And so like total amount varies, cortisol awakening response varies for seemingly a lot of completely benign reasons. And a lot of these sorts of stressors that might affect uh, cortisol levels, um, they do so often in unpredictable ways. Like certain stressors seem to decrease either total cortisol or cortisol awakening response. Some seem to increase it. And some seem to cause like a sort of bimodal response where you either get like increases in cortisol or decreases in cortisol. Um, and so it's it's like a lot like a lot of things on social media, a lot of the narratives around uh, cortisol levels do seem to be relatively narrow and prescriptive. Like, hey, if this happens to you, like that means this is going on with your cortisol and like this thing will help address it. Um, but oftentimes like those things inherently aren't particularly predictable just because cortisol responses do vary so much. Some aspect of cortisol levels isn't even predictive of other aspects and how your cortisol responds to different stressors can vary based on the individual and based on the type of stressor. So, um, it leaves a lot of room for that misinformation to creep in. Like, I feel like that's a hallmark of these topics where we see, you know, a lot of people making claims on social, on TikTok is like, there is such a wide variability in how people experience it and in like a normal range in a healthy person. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that a lot of the things they're calling out are as like symptoms of like low or high cortisol or something messing up with the awakening response. Like, okay, but what about sleep disorders. Like what about sleep apnea, you know, which can make you wake up in the night and feel tired in the morning. Um, or they'll talk about like feeling anxious as being a symptom of high cortisol and overthinking at night when you're wired at night. That's like, okay, but what about people who have anxiety? Right. Yeah. They're going to have that. And maybe that comes with high cortisol. Maybe it's a cause of high cortisol, you know, like, like there's a lot of like chicken and egg stuff. Yeah. Separating the cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do I do think that is often the case. Like it's 
I think it's much more common that just like something is going on, like something generally bad or something that you're like processing or interpreting as bad is happening in your life. Either like your job sucks, you're in a shitty relationship, um, you're you're like of low socioeconomic status and you're dealing with all of the stress associated with that. Uh, you have an injury, you have an illness, whatever, like those things are I, I think are more so like the cause of yeah. something uh, like atypical happening with cortisol. And so then like that, that is the problem. And if you do have some bad thing that's cortisol related, you would probably want to address the root cause of the problem, which is like the illness or the injury or the life circumstances that are causing perturbations to your cortisol Rather than saying, oh, my cortisol is fucked up, that is the problem. And if I address the cortisol, suddenly everything will be better. Yeah. It's a lot easier to just blame it on cortisol than being like, how do I get myself out of this shitty relationship? Or how do I like get out from under the boot of this terrible boss? You know? Yeah. So it's it's very it's very understandable why people would be wanting like kind of a simple solution for something that could be a very difficult problem. Yeah. And the these social media posts very often like they talk about it as if it's like a disease like know the symptoms of this and know how to get treated or know how to you know treat yourself but it's it's like a lens right it's like mm-hmm. they're offering you a lens with which to look at all of your problems yeah. and then you can say oh well this explains this and this explains this and like the more you know the larger and more nebulous it is the more you can use it as that lens and then that leads you to like search on more terms about high cortisol and whatever and just sort of get trapped in this versus saying okay, I'm waking up at night and I'm tired in the morning. What are the reasons that might be? And what kind of like medical professional should I ask if I'm having trouble dealing with this on my own? So we've already started to kind of tease this a little bit, but now that we know what cortisol actually does and its real effects, um, it doesn't seem to quite compute with, with what we're seeing online and what people are saying about it. Beth, what have you been seeing on TikTok about cortisol? What are people saying about it? Let's get into that. Yeah, yeah. We, we've we kind of alluded to and gesture, gestured at the types of claims being made. So like what what are people actually saying? Let's let's dive in. OK, so I, I have a list that I've compiled. I think everything here I saw in more than one TikTok Um and they, they really range from things that are extremely vague that everybody probably has sometimes, like being tired or being anxious, to like specific symptoms where they're like copying it out of a textbook for like Cushing's disease or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the suggested treatments also run a range. And some of them are like, eat more protein, get more sleep that probably everybody should do. Yeah. And then um, but then some of them are like more specific things like get you know, like buy these specific supplements. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, some of the symptoms of high cortisol, according to TikTok. Cravings for salt and sugar. Waking up in the night, specifically between 2 and 4 a.m. Being tired in the morning, wired at night. uh, Overthinking or feeling anxious, especially at night. Having fat in your belly or love handles. Or you're trying to lose weight and not being very successful about it. Um, Having a round face. Um, being irritable, and maybe I'll talk about this more later, but there are, there are a bunch of uh, TikToks where, where women are saying, hey, if your husband has a short fuse and he's angry at you all the time, high cortisol. Oh, my God. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so then you have to sneak the supplements into his drinks. 
<laughs> um, they'll say, "God, what a, what a what a relationship built on trust." If if Lindsay came home and she was just like, or or if if I called her, uh, just like drugging you, yeah, yeah, j- just j- putting putting a mystery powder in my morning coffee. First, I'd be like, "What the fuck's happening here?" And two, I'd be like, "What's going on?" And she'd be like, "Oh, I." I think you have a medical problem that I diagnosed for you from watching TikToks, and this is the treatment that some fucking jabroni said would make you stop being mean to me all the time. I'd be like, "Damn!" Like our this the cause of a lot of issues. Yeah, like our clearly our relationship died years ago, and this is how I'm finding out about it. Like there's. There's just like so many layers of just deception and lack of trust there. It's it's incredible. Wouldn't you be glad, though, that it's just, you know, an ashwagandha supplement or something and not poison? Uh, I would. Yeah. Just saying. Right side. And wouldn't you be glad that I wasn't asking you to change your behavior and said I was just well, you know, I th- giving I think you a supplement and saying that's going to fix everything? Yeah, I'd, I'd be like, thanks. You've <laughs> you you have taken it upon yourself to find an out for my bad behavior. Like, I'm <laughs> exactly. I'm clearly that's doing so well here. sad. That's right. I, I think that is one of the options, though, because one of these TikToks showing showed like the husband like mixing his own supplements. So maybe you could convince him. I don't know. But but then he's going to be so irritable. He'll have that short fuse and, you know, oh, yell at gosh, you. So yeah. I don't know. All the way down. That one. That one's brutal. Like that's there. there's layers to that one. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Some more symptoms. Um, brain fog or troublemaking decisions. Um, puffiness or bloating or fluid in your face or in your body, really anywhere. Um, painful periods or pretty much any kind of menstrual issue. Low libido. Gut issues of any kind. One of the TikToks specifically said of any kind. Bloating, gas, anything. <laughs> anything relating to your gut or that you think relates to your gut. That is high cortisol. Um, Broad net. Low appetite in the morning. So if you skip breakfast, that's you. Um if you have high blood sugar, which you can tell because you're shaky often, and acne. And just a quick note about the high blood sugar. I'm not sure how they're expecting people to, like, know personally whether they are experiencing high blood sugar. Like, I remember taking a, a first aid class and they talk about, like, what to do if somebody has low blood sugar. And they're like, symptoms of low blood sugar are this. Symptoms of high blood sugar are almost exactly the same thing. Yeah. Just assume that in a first aid context, assume they have low blood sugar because you're not going to kill anybody by giving them too much, you know, sugar. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's like, how are you supposed to diagnose this in yourself by watching a TikTok? Gosh. You know, yeah. they'll just like throw it up in a list of symptoms like high blood sugar. You feel shaky and then move on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Get a glucose monitor, I guess. Yeah, like, I, I was well, going to ask. There probably are people doing that. I I think so. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother thing. Oh, man. I, I mean, so it sounds like myself and probably everyone listening to this podcast has high cortisol uh according to tiktok like yeah I, yeah like tag I, yourself. I definitely have these symptoms i have so many of these <laughs> yeah i mean i think everyone has at least one of these yeah. symptoms some of the time yeah yeah and and some of these you know i recognize as symptoms of like you know cushing syndrome or things like that where like there is an extreme version of this that is seen as like a med- like a symptom medically you know, like the moon face thing. They'll talk about having like a round face. And in somebody who, you know, has a lot of um, cortisol or if they're taking, you know, medications that have lots of cortisol in it and like they will get like a rounder face. But then you also have people on TikTok being like, well, my face is round. How do I make my face look skinnier? I must have high cortisol, Oh man. you know, and like in Cushing's, you can have some extra fluid and edema, but then they 
this ends up getting like mixed into different like lymphatic drainage, massage, gua sha, like stuff that's already trendy. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things. So in a minute, I'll tell you about ways that TikTok says you can fix your high cortisol. But I was also curious, like, what do they say is causing your high cortisol? Mm. And it's a very small list. The TikToks are very big on telling you how you know you have a problem because then you have the problem and you have to keep on watching TikToks to find out. Um, They're not as big on like what causes it. And they definitely don't get into like sources of stress and uh, you know, like real sources of stress, like in your life and stuff. They say like, well, maybe you're feeling stressed all the time. Um, Maybe you're using caffeine too much. They like to blame caffeine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then (laughs) the other two things, like I, I was like trying to make a nice long list and I have like two other things on my list, which is high intensity exercise and um, exercising when you're on your period, which they claim are causing your high cortisol. What? <laughs> so I, I think I think you, you can tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, let me tell you how to fix high cortisol according to TikTok. All right. So this is this is I think where it gets fun because they they can kind of pick anything they want and say this is a fix for high cortisol. Yeah. And after you've seen so many TikToks saying these are the symptoms of high cortisol, and then you have some of them, it's like I'm tired sometimes. I crave sugar. Um, Okay. One of my favorites is um, vagal stimulation, such as dunking your face in ice water every morning. I saw somebody doing a a cortisol lowering challenge and they were like trying to do it every morning and dunk their face in the ice water and try to keep it, keep their face in long enough that they could like hum while their face was in the ice water. That sounds terrible. It's like a cold shower. But just for your face. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the the thing is, like, I think there probably is a kernel of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, so I'm not sure about the cortisol piece specifically. Um, but there there is a reflex where if you submerge a human's face in water, um, you do see like a an immediate and generally pretty large decrease in blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um like submerging your face in water does seem to influence autonomic nervous system function, which yeah, it definitely does something. Yeah, which which like I can I, I haven't looked into research on this, but like I could buy that that acutely decreases cortisol levels, but it's a it's a reflex. Like as soon as your face is out of the water, just everything goes back to normal. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I don't see how it would give like lasting the the sorts of lasting changes people would be interested in, and also. If, if people are doing that first thing in the morning, like the tired in the morning, wired at night thing, if that's yeah, don't you related want it to, to the cortisol awakening response, like that's when you want cortisol higher, not lower. Like if, if that's mm-hmm. the lens you're looking at it through. But I could also just see just making your face really fucking cold uh, first thing in the morning. Like the, well, people I, do cold plunges for the same reason. Yeah, like, I, like I can, I've seen that, and that's making your whole body cold. Like I, I can see how that could put some pep in your step generally. <laughs> yeah, but it's not because you, your body thinks you're dying. It's not because it's acutely doing to cortisol what you would want cortisol to do. If like low morning cortisol was making you tired in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this may actually have sort of creeped over from a different corner of TikTok where they talk about. Um, doing things with ice water for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people putting like an ice pack on their chest or something like that. And um, I didn't write about this, but somebody else at Lifehacker wrote about this. And I remember editing this piece and she talk, talked to some uh, like therapists and stuff asking like, is this a real treatment for anxiety? And they said, well, if you're having a panic attack, it can be good to sort of ground yourself and like pay attention to like sensations that your body is feeling. And so that would be like a really like distracting thing you can do. And so Mm -hmm. the sources she talked to seemed to like it for that reason, but they didn't 
seem to think it was doing something like magical to your nervous system. Right. Mm, yeah. 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 That makes sense. So some other ways to fix high cortisol. Um, one of them is eating protein. Um, okay. A, That's good, I guess. A, a lot of them are taking supplements. And if you look up which supplements, literally every supplement in the world is on somebody's list of supplements for high cortisol. So maybe we can get a little more into that later. Um, they'll talk about getting some sunlight in the morning or go for, going for a walk in the morning. Mm hmm. They'll talk about not having, not using your phone or not exposing yourself to blue light in the evening. Um, and, and usually a lot of like just general sleep hygiene tips. Like, sure, that's good. Um, right. Mm -hmm. They'll talk about doing gentle exercise instead of high intensity exercise or instead of HIT specifically. They'll tell people to do more walks, maybe do some Pilates or some gentle yoga. Mm -hmm. um, one uh, interesting one is somatic therapy. And there are a couple of different kinds of this. And there's one where you tap on your forehead and uh, this is supposed to something, something release trauma. Um, there are some exercises where you roll around <laughs> on the floor and like vibrate your body or like move in certain ways because this is supposed to like release trauma from your body and the trauma is what's holding cortisol, etc. Wow. Okay. Uh, relaxation techniques, just in general, all kinds of relaxation techniques. Um, they tell you to eat breakfast. They tell you don't have any coffee until after breakfast. Um, they tell you to do lymphatic drainage massage or gua sha, which is like you use a scraping tool to kind of like massage your face or your body mm. um, to take fish oil. And because this has to be on every list for everything, eat dark chocolate. Hell yeah. I mean. Uh, so so if I have this symptom of craving sugar, then I could just eat dark chocolate. Good to go. Yeah. Oh, there's. I mean, it's. Wait, wait. There's one that didn't make the list. Um, if you're craving salt and sugar. Except they, they like separated it by a few steps. You're craving salt and sugar, then something, something because of this, blah, 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 blah. You take a um, a shot glass, fill it with orange juice, and then put a bunch of salt in it, and then throw that back like a shot. Fun. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> you know, if you're craving salt and sugar, I think that might work. I I wonder if uh, I wonder if that one in particular is like downstream of repeat stuff. Because like. Who's that? Oh, man. We we can't we, we can't, can't do a repeat diversion. I've never heard of this. Oh my god, Beth, this is a this is a firm recommendation. <laughs> when we get done recording, just Google repeat. Right, like um, like the name Ray and then the name Pete. Yeah, yeah, R A Y P E A T. Um, he was just this kind of like underground dissident nutrition and health guy. Um, I'm not sure if he's still alive. I think he might be he's certainly not as active or influential as he used to be but basically he just had this little blog and like this little forum um and he he's the type of guy that like most people haven't heard about but folks who love ray pete fucking love ray pete like it's it's sort of like a cult Guru uh, situation yeah it's like yeah. a cult mentality um but yeah he he's relatively big on saying that like Oh, like if you want to feel better, eat more sugar. Like that's good for you. And in particular, he's big on orange juice. Uh, his other big one is, or, or like thing that kind of broke containment of the Ray Pete sphere is the idea that like calcium in most sources isn't bioavailable. So if you actually want to like get calcium to your bones, you should dry up and grind up eggshells. And that's like the huh. best source of calcium. Uh, to be clear, like I don't. I don't think his stuff is good, but like <laughs> it's just amused by it. It's it's unique and entertaining. And and just hearing like salt and orange juice, I'm like, I think I think that at least 
comes from the the Ray Pete lineage okay, to some I, extent. I have to look him up there. It's fun. Like the, it is a fun rabbit hole to go down. So we talked about some of these like specific examples. Uh, let's talk about the larger trends we're seeing in the discourse here um, before diving into like details of some of these claims. Yeah. So one of the most fascinating things that um, I learned about this. So I actually reached out to an endocrinologist um, who, you know, is like an expert in some of this stuff and asked him, you know, about like, you know, can you give me some comments on like this current trend? Mm-hmm. And he sent me a podcast that he did. Oh, I don't remember. I want to say like 2018 or something like for the Endocrine Society. And they talk about adrenal fatigue. And I was like, oh, I remember that. Like, I com- it completely yeah. slipped mm-hmm. my mind. Adrenal fatigue was such a big deal. There were articles on Goop about it. Everybody was talking about how their adrenals were fatigued because the idea is you like you're you're so stressed and it's so go 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 and you you're just you know like making your adrenal gland make so much adrenaline or epinephrine that eventually it just like tires out and can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there are all these symptoms like being tired in the morning or um you know like having trouble falling asleep or salt and sugar cravings or needing caffeine to get through the day and mm-hmm. it's like wait a minute And so the funny thing is in this podcast, he talks about this. He talks about like why it's a myth and what he does with patients who come to him with these concerns and whatever. And toward the end, he said something like, you know, these symptoms actually sound more like symptoms of high cortisol. Like they they would have a better grift if they said these are this is because your cortisol is high. And so I wrote back Mm -hmm. to him. and I'm like, (laughs) oh, no, that is actually what they're saying now. And he's like, oh, maybe somebody (laughs) listened to my podcast. They've gotten smarter. I mm. What level of irony was there in that statement? <laughs> like, did, did he actually think that TikTokers listen to a endocrine society podcast? I, I, I suspect that was a joke, but. Okay. But okay. Like, that's, that's good. That's good. But, but it is like they kind of figured out that, like, this makes more sense, you know, and if right. it mm, like yeah. matches reality a little bit better then it can like hook into more things. And then you can say, oh, well, obviously there's this and obviously, you know. Like you can, mm-hmm. it becomes more powerful when you can like link it to more things is my, yeah. my theory here. Definitely. But I find it so hilarious that the same symptoms that were supposedly adrenal fatigue are now symptoms of your adrenal gland working too hard. And so I went and looked back into adrenal fatigue a little bit, including, uh, I remembered reading about it on Goop. And so I looked it up and they, they first published an article about it in 2017 by, um, this doctor who is probably best known for selling a very expensive juice cleanse. And he said, uh, by being constantly stressed and using stimulants to whip our adrenals, that's how he referred to using caffeine, drinking coffee, we can drive the whole energy system to collapse. All kinds of diseases can be triggered or worsened in a body environment where the adrenals are exhausted. The way to revitalize your adrenals may be as simple as getting regular good night's sleep or a little more complicated. This is when the use of adaptogens comes in handy. Mm. And then he tells you to get ashwagandha and other adaptogens and, um, yeah, and and... So both then and now, this very often leads into a sales pitch for supplements. Right. And these days, especially ashwagandha, although this endocrinologist, um, his name's James Finling, he, he noted that a lot of the supplements at the time that were being sold as adrenal support um, were might include or be laced with cortisone or forms of cortisone. So they would oh, actually shit. have some in them. <laughs> so And that, that's what he was saying. Like, people feel good when they take that. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't able to confirm, like, specifically what kinds of supplements might have this in it or not. But, um, yeah, like, it's it's always worth being a little bit suspicious of supplements in general because it is not unusual to find them 
contaminated, like deliberately contaminated with like actual pharmaceuticals. I mean, that that kind of makes sense. I for for whatever reason, that application of like slipping pharmaceuticals into something hadn't ever occurred to me. But it, it has clear parallels to lifting supplements mm-hmm. um, like there have been there have been so many instances of people taking like pre-workouts that they thought were fine uh, going into like a powerlifting meet or weightlifting meet and then getting popped for banned stimulants because there was a banned stimulant that wasn't on the label. Um, There's been research on this, like, like rates of supplement contaminations. And I mean, a lot of pre-workouts, like a lot of things that people take to put some pep in their step. Yeah. Like they have some caffeine in it, but it also has some like ephedrine or, or just like other, other banned stimulants in it. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I guess it's intuitive that people would do the same thing for kind of like health, like feel good adaptogen type mm-hmm. supplements. A quick fun fact. I know that one of the the categories that has a lot of this is like sketchy boner pills, like oh, truck yeah, yeah. stop, fake Viagra. A lot of the time <laughs> there's real, Vi- real Viagra in it. I mean, <laughs> that, that makes all the sense in the world. I, I think, I think it may have partially been a bit of like an inferiority complex, I guess, where like I look around the fitness industry and I'm like, ah, oh, God, like this industry is so fucking stupid. Like this, this would be the one where people would, would lace their supplements with stuff and think they could get away with it and whatever. Like I, I assume that supplements aren't as sketchy elsewhere, but no, of course, of, of course they're as sketchy elsewhere. I don't, I don't know why I ever assumed that for a second. Yeah. So Like I said, I went to TikTok and looked for examples of adrenal fatigue. I found one where a guy was like, here's how you know how you have symptoms of adrenal fatigue, a.k.a. high cortisol. Just like straight up saying they're the same thing. It's opposite. (laughs) It's the opposite. But you know what? It's the same list of symptoms. So it kind of works. Right. Yeah. Um, I found another really fun one um, saying, hey, if you have low back pain. um, And then she explains that it's because of adrenal fatigue. And so your adrenal glands are having a problem and your adrenal glands are on your kidneys and your kidneys are sort of near your back. And so that's why you have low back pain. That is quite the claim. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a stretch. That's creative. I'll that, give her that. That was very creative. I was I, I saw that and I was I was just like slow clap for that one. I it never <laughs> would have occurred to me to put them together that way. Yeah. While you're talking, just really quick, I'm going to see if the adrenal cortex is even innervated in the first place. Um, okay, they they are they are yeah they do so get that's... the splanchnic nerves because parts of the adrenal gland talk to each other, but uh, yeah. But anyway, oh, but in terms of can it feel pain? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that that that's what I was looking at to see if it had like a sensory nerve supply. Okay, so maybe. Um, although I don't know whether an adrenal gland being fatigued would necessarily be a painful condition. Oh no no like I <laughs> it, it wouldn't establish that I just want to see if like that's even something that's even theoretically possible or if it's just like within the realm of uh something that's not even like physiologically on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something else that I noticed when I was looking up the adrenal fatigue stuff is I started um you know there's still a lot of like chiropractors naturopaths people like that who will talk about it. Like real endocrinologists will absolutely say, no, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Like there are diseases that can affect your, you know, like health conditions that can involve your adrenal glands. There are lots of them. Come on in. We'll test you. We'll figure it out. But like adrenal fatigue, they're like, no, that's that's not a thing. If you think you have adrenal fatigue, maybe you have something else, but it's not. Mm -hmm. But um, but something I saw that at at first I thought was funny. And then by the end, I was just like, this is horrible. Um, 
is a chiropractor who's saying, hey, look at this person's lab test. It's the worst I've ever seen. And talks about this person who like is, is having trouble with her relationships and whatever. They did one of these um, tests of the cortisol curve throughout the day. And he holds up the um, like papers like, look, this is low. This is low. And then at the end, he said, well, she's going to need a lot of work to be able to fix all of this. And I'm going to do some viral testing next. And I can't wait to see what that turns up. So, yeah, there's a whole thing where there are these practitioners that will just sort of like look for stuff and tell you you have some kind of health condition that you need to like keep coming back to them for and get treated for. And, you know, I'm more familiar with this with certain other things. But just the idea that this person is like excited to go through and tell this person that they have a virus that they probably don't have and then have them come back every week for hundreds of dollars a week oh. for who knows how long. Like, it's just, so now this becomes like, the, the adrenal stuff becomes like an entry point for getting people into like a whole nother, yeah. you know, thing. It's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder with stuff like that, um, like to, to what extent do those practitioners actually believe it versus to what extent do they realize it's or like Mm. i I was gonna say to what extent do they realize it's a grift but i think like a grift implies some degree of intentionality but yeah like i i I sometimes wonder because like i try to give people the benefit of the doubt and i'm like ah like people are making crazy claims but ultimately they're just uninformed like they're trying to help and like make a quick buck off of it like i i get it whatever like it, it is what it is but then sometimes when when stuff like that gets so egregious, like it becomes so hard to extend that benefit of the doubt because it it does get like it can get very dark, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I have to assume that it's, you know, when when you make when you're getting enough into this and, and hearing from other people saying the same things to kind of convince yourself it's all true or close to true or something and like. All, all of this information is always sort of like a blend of truth and fiction. It's never like straight up, well, right. not usually like completely false stuff, you know, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same place as you. Like, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume they're at least trying to do the right thing. But sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. Like really hard to believe that. I mean, like you you even see that as well with um, like a lot of the the symptoms that that people throw out as a potential indication that you have high cortisol, like uh, as you mentioned, a lot of them are just symptoms of Cushing's disease. And the the thing that like a lay like th- this is something that I think is more like understandable for people to get wrong and like not as grifty. Like if if you're just like a normal person on TikTok and you have no like scientific or medical training, I think it's easy to look at stuff like that and not understand like the importance of the discriminatory power of a test like for instance like being being puffy or having a round face like that very well could be an indication of Cushing's disease but it could be an indication of of so many other things and in terms of having a round face like that could just be your bone structure like that's just (laughs) how your face is shaped you know um and so in, in an instance like that if someone's not particularly savvy like it all seems to make sense. They look up like, oh, symptoms of high cortisol. Here's this disease. Like it's characterized by high, high cortisol. Here are some things you see. 
oh shit like if you it, like people with cushing's disease have uh like fluid retention round face puffiness whatever like and then and then it's a logical fallacy to jump and say therefore mm-hmm. if you have a round face fluid retention puffiness you have high cortisol but like that is um like that that's kind of like a logic trap that i think people very frequently fall into mm-hmm. and i think that might be what's happening with with a lot of this here like they're uh accurately identifying actual symptoms of high cortisol but then dramatically overestimating the discriminatory power of being able to say if you have these symptoms that therefore means you have high cortisol because like any number of other things could be causing them or it could just be something that's like relatively normal like like variations in chronotypes yeah and it it reminds me a lot of um how sometimes there's like panic over like certain ingredients in foods and like oh there's this toxin in this thing or whatever and it's like well but how much and like what does that actually cause and mm-hmm. so people don't necessarily understand like the dose or whatever they they just see like oh i see this thing on a list therefore that's going to be significant yeah right um it's sort of like the the health version of that and it, it's interesting. So there was a, an article in the Washington Post recently of um, a woman who had some of these symptoms and she was under a lot of stress. She was planning a wedding and she was gaining weight in like a the pattern that is supposed to be a high cortisol pattern. And she I, I don't think she went to doctors and said, I have high cortisol, but she was like, what's going on with my body? Mm-hmm. Um, and she mm-hmm. did get like a rounder face. You know, she went to a lot of different doctors. By the time she finally like got to the endocrinologist who was able to diagnose her, he was like, bring in pictures of yourself from a couple of years ago. And like there was a dramatic difference from like having like a fairly thin face to having a very round face. And she also had an identical twin. So when she's standing next to her identical twin, you can really see the difference. Mm -hmm. And she turned out to have cancer. That was the cancer was secreting ACTH, which is this hormone that tells the adrenal gland to make cortisol. And um, she ended up getting the tumor removed and was fine. But imagine if she had been looking at TikTok and being like, wow, I have to do more yoga and I have to, you know, right. take ashwagandha, you know, like some, sometimes they're real symptoms, real issues. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't get out of that one just by putting your face in ice water. Yeah. No, or, or tapping no. on your forehead in a particular way. Yeah. yeah. So I did want to talk about um, one aspect of this, which is like a lot of this is targeted at women. And it's mm-hmm. like these videos are very often by women for women. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was like looking at some of these videos and my my son came in and I told him what I was doing. And he just kind of looked over my shoulder for a while. And he was like, why are they all women? And I was like, well, let's see what happens when we search cortisol in men. And that's where I found the ones about spotting high cortisol in your husband. So, <laughs> <laughs> so still content by women for women, just about their by women for yeah, women about the men in their lives about their yep. husbands. There were a few things where men are telling women, "Hey, if you want to lose that belly fat, here's what you got to do," and then you know telling them about their high cortisol problems. Um, Love that. And the other thing, though, is like this: this has come up in almost every like. TikTok myth I've looked into, TikTok health misinformation is like it's all so beauty and weight loss focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, if you are a hot young woman and you can put your face on TikTok, you can say anything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the subtext of all of these is like, look how pretty I am. You're ugly. Here's how to be like me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, if somebody's going to do a smoothie recipe on TikTok, they're going to like be in a crop top so you can see their abs while they're making their smoothie. Like it's extremely common. And 
And I found it really interesting that like the number one symptom that came up in all of these things, nearly all of them mentioned it, was you can't lose weight or you have belly fat or you have love handles. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like there's this assumption that like, if you are not like extremely thin and hot, that you must be trying your very hardest to become extremely thin and hot. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not even... Or or that if you're not already thin and hot, there's something medically wrong with you. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, she's obviously solved it because she looks like that. So there must be something wrong with me. And she knows the answer because she doesn't look like me. Yeah. Exactly. And and I I like how they would often phrase it, not as weight gain, but as can't lose weight. Mm -hmm. Because everybody should be all... If you're not already that like 20-something hot girl on TikTok, then clearly you are trying to become her. You are trying to lose weight. (laughs) And then that kind of puts these sugar cravings into perspective, I think. Mm. Like, if you're talking to people who are constantly dieting, and there's a lot of, like, advice that, like, makes a lot more sense in the context of people who are, like, constantly dieting or trying to diet or, like, thinking about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, well, yeah, you have cravings for junk food. Like, right. You know? Yeah, you're tired. You're eating Uh 800 calories a day. Yes. Yeah. And then when they talk about, like, high-intensity exercise and whatever, it's like, on the one hand, they're probably overblowing this and exercise doesn't, you know, do all of the horrible things that they're saying it does. But also, like, imagine this picture of somebody who's constantly trying to lose weight and, like, unhappy with their body and constantly craving junk food and is, you know, like, sort of in a feedback loop with this saying, I have to work out harder. I have to go and do more hit videos or go and do more exercise or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, that that exercise could be, like, maladaptive for them in that scenario, not because exercise is bad, but because, like, this is the the sort of feedback cycle that is being encouraged by these TikToks and also pathologized by these TikToks. Yeah, there are so many things on this list of symptoms that could just be general fatigue slash, like, trying to lose weight and exercise too hard and, like, crash dieting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, cravings for salt and sugar. Yeah, like, if you're not eating anything, you're going to crave things that taste good. Um, waking up at night. Like, if, if the state of low energy availability can cause sleep disturbances. Like, that's very well well known and well established. Tired in the morning. Like, no shit. Like, if you're... Uh, like extremely underfueled, you're not going to have that much pep in your step when you get out of bed. Um, then the like fat belly, love handles, can't lose weight. Like that's, you know, that's more of kind of like where you're at now. Like you're, you, you interpret that you must have a problem because like you're already in that state and therefore you're doing all of these things that fatigue you. Um, irritability, like, yeah, you're tired and hangry. Like that makes sense. Um, Low libido, again, like low energy availability kills your sex drive. Uh, gut issues, like bloating, gas, like if you're not eating anything and then you maybe like go off the rails, like your tummy's going to hurt. Or if you're just taking a bunch of weird supplements and you have a weird diet to try to like crash diet and lose weight, I can see how that would cause gut issues. Uh, low appetite in the morning, like maybe because you're you habitually don't eat in the morning because you're trying to lose weight, like that makes sense. And then high blood sugar slash shaky often. Like you said, the symptoms of high and low blood blood sugar sugar often go hand in hand. Um, So yeah, like maybe you're shaky often because you have low blood. Like a a lot of those proposed symptoms of high cortisol do seem to track pretty well with like under fueling and over exercise for the purpose of like trying to rapidly lose weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that probably has a lot to do with why this is becoming a trend 
because like people who are sort of like in this, you know, trying to be hotter and looking at TikToks of hot people trying to figure out how to get hot like them, you know, like puts you in this scenario where, oh, hey, all of these symptoms match up for me. Mm -hmm. Something else that um, also comes up a lot is, you know, being focused at on women and also relevant to the underfueling thing is they talk about your menstrual cycle a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is a whole nother subject, um, but like people will tell you not to do intense exercise during certain parts of your menstrual cycle. They'll talk about like the cravings that you're having in certain parts of your cycle, you know, and you know, as, as I'm sure you guys know, like you don't need to change your exercise or your nutrition all that much for your, your cycle like right. that doesn't necessarily follow but also like there are some like subtle changes in your cycle about like you might crave more sugar in certain points or whatever and like if you actually feed yourself those things that your body needs you'll get along a lot better so that ties right back into the dieting thing and the underfueling i think mm -hmm. um so anyhow I, I think that's very interesting because like if you if you look up like high cortisol and then like menstrual cycle put that in your search terms you find you'll find a lot of people saying you know, like doing high intensity exercise the week of your period is what's causing your high cortisol all the time and just kind of making that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like like you mentioned and, and not to stay on this subject too much, but like that is I, I think that that does dovetail with another really common thing that that even I have seen on social media as as someone who doesn't consume that much of it. There is just there, there is so much content about menstrual cycles and so many claims about what supplements you should take, how you should exercise, how mm -hmm. you should eat, whether or not you should diet like at, at certain phases of the menstrual cycle. And there, there's a degree to which I understand the, the limits of how much my opinion matters because like I don't have any relevant lived experience. But it's also like... I do follow the research on that pretty well, and there's a lot of it. And uh, like a, a a person whose work like listeners should look into if if they're interested in a lot of this stuff is uh, Lauren Colenso Simple. Um, she she published a really good narrative review about exercise in, in the menstrual cycle. Uh, what was that? Maybe like six months ago or so. Um, that is worth looking into. Basically, making the case that. As far as we can tell, acute physiological responses to exercise don't seem to vary that much throughout the menstrual cycle. Like adaptations to exercise don't really seem to vary much, if any. Um, and like, yeah, like that that is the state of the research, like a lot of which or most of which has been conducted by women. But then there's like such a large disconnect. And if you do say, hey, like, you know, I'm sure that how you feel uh, can vary considerably throughout the month, but maybe that doesn't necessarily have that large of an impact on the type of exercise you can do and benefit from. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get shouted down for, you know, not, yeah, like, like staying in your lane, like, oh, like all of, all of these other people say it's important. Like, why don't you just listen to them? It's like if they're if they're right, the research doesn't support them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I do think that a lot of stuff related to the menstrual cycle is just like a huge can of worms where there's a considerable divergence between the claims that influencers make online and 
what the research actually says on the topic. Yeah, definitely. I have more thoughts on that. Maybe that's another episode or something. That would be fun. That would be fun. I do want to move on to something else that I see a lot in these TikToks about women talking about cortisol and whatever. And there's this thing came up so much about the idea that trauma is what's causing both your high cortisol and your inability to lose weight. And so they don't go so much. The body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. I have Hell yeah. I know so many people love that book. I have not read it. I'm neither criticizing nor uh, the opposite <laughs> of that that book. But, but there's so many of these that are talking about how like your body's not getting rid of the fat because your body wants to protect you because you have trauma in your past. And so instead of just going to therapy and talking it out, you have to like get your body to get the trauma out of your body. And then this is where all of these different like physical therapies come in. Mm -hmm. And there are ones where you're supposed to like lay on the floor and like wiggle your hips a little bit and then just like do that for 10 minutes and then do it some more. And there are like videos, like time lapse videos of people doing some of these things where it's like they're sort of like vibrating and rolling around or whatever. And um yeah, and then the the EFT tapping is like a, a sort of like an acupressure kind of thing. You're supposed to like tap on certain parts of your body on like your forehead and I'm not sure where else while you're like saying certain I don't know affirmations or things about yourself and this is supposed to like if you're going to take this in like a more medical direction, you can say, well, these things are relaxing and relaxation is good for stress and so on. And then some people will take mm-hmm. it in more of like the pseudoscientific direction of being like, we have to convince your body to let go of the trauma because the trauma is what's holding the fat, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think physiologically it's wrong, but uh, unlike unlike the the doctor who is trying to like or not doctor, chiropractor or whatever, who is trying to find like viral shit and just like really, really put someone down a bad and relatively costly path slash lucrative for him path. Like this is stuff that I think is ultimately, yeah, like, like physiologically unfounded, but relatively benign. Yeah. Like it's not going to hurt anyone. And it's one of those things where, I could see how it could generate some expectancy effects. Like if if your self-concept is I am someone who has struggled losing weight and then someone proposes that like and like losing weight is something that matters deeply to you. And someone proposes that like this is the reason why you've been unable to do things. And like if you uh, like tap on your head or like roll around on the ground in a certain way, like that will be the thing that like allows you to break through. Um I could see how that could be beneficial for some people, even if it's not actually doing what the proponents claim that it is. Um, Like, yeah, if if you do have that mental block of like, I'm someone who wants to lose weight, but is unable to just like a, a relatively benign thing. If it can help you like flip that switch in your head of, Hey, I've learned I've learned this thing that that has been holding me back and I've learned what to do to get past it. So like now that blocker is gone and now uh, even though it's like somewhat coming from an external source, I can now feel some degree of self-efficacy mm-hmm. about my ability to pursue this thing. Like, I don't know. I, I, I could see it being helpful. And uh, even though I think it's probably wrong. Um, and so, yeah, like that's that, that's not the type of thing that I think I would be likely to get that been out of shape about. Yeah, I think it might kind of depend on like what happens next. Yeah. Like so you do the the tapping or the rolling around or whatever. And then like what do you do? Because sometimes the people who are are advocating this stuff are also selling 
a whole bunch of supplements or they'll end up sending you to a, you know, naturopath or something. And like, mm-hmm. is this like a gateway into stuff that takes you further away from anything that would help you or be healthy for you? Yeah. yeah. Or is this something that helps you to take a little more control of your yourself and and be like, OK, well, I'm doing if I did that, then I can do the next thing. And so I think it really kind of depends where it takes you. Yeah. yeah. You, you've released the trauma. Now you can deadlift, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Now you can deadlift every week of the month. Yeah. <laughs> so back on that topic about exercise, right? So there's this um, this idea, which I've seen both <clears throat> both in this context and in the context of like menstrual cycle stuff, about the idea that high intensity exercise spikes your cortisol and makes you gain weight, which is why going to the gym and either lifting weights or doing high intensity stuff like, you know, hit like sprint training, like Sometimes they'll just say running in general. Mm-hmm. Um, what counts as high intensity kind of depends on the influencer. Um, but they'll say exercise spikes your cortisol, makes you have more cortisol. Therefore, if you want to lose weight or if you want to deal with the symptoms of stress, you shouldn't do any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I, I think that this is another area where like there is definitely a kernel of truth um intense exercise does cause elevations in cortisol um but i also think that yeah like i I i think it's a contextual thing and the idea that anything that increases cortisol is necessarily bad is completely wrong so uh To start with, like a lot of the symptoms that people are describing that they would associate with um, that are being associated with high cortisol in TikTok content, um, like a lot of the fatigue, like feeling bad, blah, 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 whatever. Like if that were to have an origin in exercise, it sounds reminiscent of overtraining syndrome. Um, And overtraining syndrome is characterized by low cortisol levels, not high cortisol levels. So like there's a there's kind of a phasic response to it. Like when you start training hard, ACTH and cortisol both go up. And then like as you start over and and that's like good and adaptive, like that's when things are still going well, like you're training hard, you're still adapting well to it. Uh, Hormonally, everything is working normally and like kind of doing what it's supposed to. Then when you start getting into the realm of overreaching, like, you know, you're still able to perform well, but like maybe you're not adapting quite as well anymore. You're starting to get worn down. Uh, What you start seeing is what appears to be like a, a resistance to uh, ACTH. So ACTH levels keep going up. Um, like your pituitary keeps telling your adrenal glands, hey, produce more cortisol. Like this person's training hard. It's what they need. Um, but cortisol levels plateau or maybe start declining. And then with like true overtraining syndrome, you start seeing ACTH and cortisol both going down, um, which which like if anything would be like a real case of adrenal fatigue or at least like something reminiscent of it. But in essence, if there is an exercise-related cause of the symptoms that people are reporting, it would, in all likelihood, be related to overfatigue, overtraining, and a decrease in cortisol levels rather than an increase. Now, I I did end up reading about um, at least sometimes there can be a a condition where people have high cortisol. So this was in a paper from an endocrinologist where people have high cortisol 
Um, not necessarily like the classic Cushing symptoms. And he said this can happen in red S, so relative energy deficiency. So kind of like overtraining with not enough calories. And you can also see something like this in anorexia too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 is a good point. Like there's there's a lot of overlap between I mean, it's it's a it's a classic bit of like social media content fodder. Like, is it overtraining or under recovering slash under eating? Um and so, yeah, like if, if you have like overtraining like symptoms, not necessarily because your training is that crazy, but it's too much relative to the, to the amount you're eating and you're dealing with relative energy deficiency, you're under fueling. Um, yeah, you, you could see elevations in cortisol with that. But if, if it's like a purely exercise based etiology, like you're you seem to be doing what you would need to do to fuel well for training, but you're still just training so much that you're overtraining. Um, like that, that's when you generally see decreases in cortisol. And, and, and either way, these are very like extreme conditions, right? We're not talking about somebody who's just like, you know, working out three days in a row instead of taking a rest day, which is when people yeah, think yeah, they're correct. Like it's, it's almost exclusively observed in professional athletes who, you know, and I mean, honestly, mostly endurance athletes as well. Mm-hmm. Like folks, folks who might be putting in like a hundred miles a week, um, and if that's not you, like, yeah, you might be a little worn down. You're probably not like truly overtrained, um, at least in the scientific sense. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the first thing. The second thing is that cortisol does increase during intense exercise. And like uh, the, the claim that it increases most during intense exercise is correct. I'll link a source in the show notes, but. Uh, There was a 2008 paper that looked into kind of the threshold effect of when cortisol starts going up um, relative to exercise intensity. So uh, they had people do um, 30 minutes of, I think, treadmill running. It could have been cycling. Doesn't matter. Whatever. It was it was aerobic exercise at uh, 40, 60 and 80 percent of VO2 max. And what they found essentially was that. Um, both at rest and 40% of VO2 max, you, you basically didn't have any changes in cortisol levels. Like at rest went down like 6% at 40%, uh, of VO2 max, it went up 6%, but like given how wide the range of cortisol is like, that's, that's functionally no change. But then when you go from 40% to 60%, there was like a 40% increase. And then at 80% of VO2 max, it was like an 80% increase. So like, once you clear that kind of like 40, 50% of VO2 max threshold, that is when you start seeing a relatively quick and relatively large increase in cortisol levels. Um, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in fact, it is good and normal, and it relates to the intricate hormonal regulation of uh, energetic substrates that allow for high performance without compromising the energy status in tissues other than muscles. Essentially, like, your your body is trying to balance a lot of things during exercise. Like, you need to get enough fuel to your muscles and your muscles to just have access to enough fuel for them to be able to perform well, like to be able to contract with a lot of force, to put out force over a long duration in the case of cardio. Like, they, they, are, they are burning through a lot of energy. Um... But like you still need to stay conscious, Uh, like you still have other organs that need to be doing stuff. Um, And so like you can't have the muscles 
just sucking up every energetic substrate uh, going through the bloodstream. And so like cortisol kind of helps provide some balance to, to that intricate regulatory process. So like you mentioned earlier, Beth, but, but just to bring some of this back so it's fresh in people's minds, cortisol is involved in blood glucose regulation. So cortisol stimulates gluconeogenesis in the liver uh, and also glycogenesis in the liver. So um, like it helps the liver make more glucose out of non-glucose substrates, and it also helps the liver synthesize more of its own glycogen. Uh, while cortisol also stimulates glycogenolysis and reduces glucose uptake in the muscles. So it helps the muscles break down the glycogen they already have stored and keeps them from sucking up as much additional glucose from the bloodstream. Cortisol also increases lipolysis. So like the breakdown of fatty acids and the release of fatty acids into the bloodstream to serve as a fuel source and also increases protein degradation. So I know that endurance athletes have fairly high protein requirements. Um, and I know that that's because your body uses some muscle tissue for fuel during like long endurance stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that related to this? Because cortisol is going to be encouraging some amount of muscle breakdown. Uh, it could be. It could be. I think that that's related, but it's not the main cause. Okay. So uh, especially if someone's doing like really, really long duration uh, endurance exercise, like that could certainly be a contributor. But like another thing that I think is relatively slept on is that there is a very large muscle protein synthetic response to aerobic training. Um, and we tend to associate that with muscle growth and hypertrophy. But uh, after exercise, you actually have a larger increase in muscle protein synthesis in your type 1 fibers than type 2. And a lot of that is directed towards kind of like more of the like metabolic enzymes, like a lot of the anaerobic metabolic enzymes, um, like mitochondrial protein synthesis. And so like when you split out um, like myofibrillar versus sarcoplasmic protein synthesis, you do tend to see greater myofibrillar protein synthesis after resistance training, but like total protein synthesis is generally still a little higher after resistance training than aerobic training, but it's it's actually like relatively comparable mm. just because like all of those other protein fractions have have like a very robust elevation synthesis uh, after aerobic training. So you you are kind of fueling a a protein synthetic response that is comparable in magnitude after both forms of exercise. And it's just kind of a question of where that protein synthesis is being directed towards. Like, is it more towards muscle growth or is it more towards like the, the like metabolic, like anaerobic enzymes and mitochondria and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I came across when reading about cortisol more is, um, to an extent, the the cortisol increases you see with exercise are actually beneficial to muscle remodeling because um, like you need some degree of protein turnover and effectively like it it increases the breakdown of proteins. But then based on the hormonal and just like the, the milieu of signaling molecules that are present in the muscle after exercise, that kind of tells your body hey, based on this stimulus that that I was just exposed to, what sort of adaptation do I need? And so like the muscle protein breakdown you get during exercise increases the free amino acid pool that can then be 
directed to like synthesizing new useful proteins. So it could be that like you currently have a muscular phenotype that's like not the best adapted to whatever type of exercise training you're doing. And so it's actually beneficial to break down some proteins that you're not using as much. So you can use those amino acids to like synthesize proteins you do now need more. So yeah, like the the muscle protein breakdown you get from cortisol isn't like you shouldn't necessarily assume that and I'm not saying you do this, but just like for the listener, you shouldn't necessarily assume all muscle protein synthesis is muscle growth. There are a lot of proteins being synthesized that aren't just like contractile proteins. And you shouldn't necessarily assume that muscle protein breakdown scales one to one with muscle loss. Like it does also just increase the free amino acid pool that can be directed to like useful synthetic like muscle protein synthesis responses. So that is super interesting. Uh, going back, no problem. Um, so yeah, going back to cortisol during exercise, your muscles do need to burn through uh, a ludicrous amount of energy pretty quickly, and especially so during high intensity exercise. Uh, but you need to basically keep all of your other organ systems fueled and online as well. And so everything cortisol does related to energy metabolism uh, either facilitates actual performance during exercise or helps protect those other organ systems. So to start with, as, as mentioned, uh, it helps with glycogenolysis in the muscles. So it helps the muscles break down the glucose that is already stored to make it more accessible to be burned to fuel exercise. It also causes lipolysis, so that helps make fatty acids more available uh, to be used as a fuel source. Um, and that's especially helpful for long duration exercise. So like if you were doing low intensity, long duration cardio, your cortisol levels would be low to start with, but they would gradually increase throughout the session. And so they're not ramping up because you need to make glucose more available. They're ramping up because you need to make fatty acids more available. And uh, protein degradation, as mentioned, like that can have beneficial functions on just like protein remodeling. Um, but also for exercise performance, a lot of amino acids can enter the Krebs cycle directly. So it's giving your muscles access to another like fast fuel source. Um, and also, as mentioned previously, cortisol inhibits sensations of pain and discomfort. So um, it helps with being able to keep pushing hard, even if your muscles are burning, like something hurts, you don't feel good. Like the cortisol release during during high intensity exercise helps you keep performing, um, even though like hard exercise is kind of uncomfortable. It it reduces uh, the discomfort you experience. And then uh, most of the other functions of cortisol help protect other organ systems uh, from an energetic crisis because your muscles are just like so thirsty for all of the fuel that they can possibly use. So um, cortisol reduces glucose uptake in the muscles. And that's very important because you only have like four to eight grams of glucose in your blood at any given point in time. And your liver also only stores about 100 grams of glycogen at any given point in time. And that is basically the fuel reserve for all of your other organs. <laughs> um, and so like if your muscles got too greedy and just like just sucking it all, all of the glucose up that came by them, like you would kind of be fucked. Uh, <laughs> like you want cortisol to ramp up to kind of slow that process down. Because um, like during exercise and like 
just normal physical activity, you undergo a process called non-insulin-mediated GLUT4 translocation, which is essentially the little glu- the glucose transporters in your muscles. Um, they're usually kind of on the inside of the sarcolemma and not exposed to the capillaries. Um, but then what insulin does, and also just what exercise does, is it kind of signals to those GLUT4 transporters to translocate uh, to the other side of the membrane such that glucose in the blood kind of can link up with them and and come through into the muscle. And so you already get a lot of GLUT4 translocation uh, just from muscle contraction. Like that is a stimulus for GLUT4 translocation. So uh, like an increase in cortisol to keep that from like being absolutely maximal so that your muscles aren't just sucking up all of the glucose out of your blood um, helps make sure that glucose is available for other organs and, and other organ systems. Moving on, uh, cortisol causes protein degradation and uh, also increases gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis in the liver. Um, and that basically helps the liver re- replete its fuel tank in real time during exercise. Because again, like your liver doesn't store that much glycogen and your muscles are burning through so much fuel that especially during long duration exercise, if your liver is still going to have glycogen to get to your brain, to get to your heart, to get to all of your other organs, um, you know, if if you were doing long duration exercise that that burned through like 400 total calories without a way to replenish that fuel tank of the liver, um, you would be in trouble. Like you you'd run out of fuel, you and you'd pass out. Um, so cortisol helps coordinate that like it it kind of gives the liver the shove it needs to take up some of the protein that's being broken down to take up some of the other substrates in the blood that can be converted into glucose and convert that stuff into glucose and store it as liver glycogen more rapidly than it would otherwise so like those two things cortisol does they help protect the rest of the body from the muscles that are these these greedy little hungry hungry hippos that would otherwise just uh, steal all of the fuel and and you would tap out and so yeah like acutely it does stuff that you wanted to do to be able to perform well and not lose consciousness and then in terms of if that's going to negatively affect you uh, it won't so <laughs> if you if you exercise hard and you get a spike in cortisol and it goes up. Uh, that's not scary. Like it goes back to resting levels in about 40 to 60 minutes after exercise. Um, so wait, wait, wait. TikTok and- told me that I've been doing, if I've been doing high intensity exercise, I might need to take a month off from the gym. Uh, so 40 I mean, minutes, if, 40 minutes. Is if, good. if you're experiencing, <laughs> if you're experiencing overtraining syndrome, like that can be a relatively long recovery process. But yeah, like just cortisol going up during exercise. If there's nothing else wrong with you. Yeah, it goes up and it comes back down within an hour. Um, it It is not going to keep you in a state of like high cortisol for days or weeks or months at a time or even hours at a time. Again, like it goes up, comes back down within like 40 to 60 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, like I think I think a lot of that dovetails with like an erroneous type of idea that. I, I see people throw out sometimes that they don't apply evenly across the board. And that's the idea that like if there is a hormone that is presented as being scary, 
the idea is that any elevation in that hormone is necessarily scary and bad and deleterious. Um, and that's just not the case. So like a good example here would be like people being afraid that their insulin like quote unquote spikes after eating carbs and they think like, oh, like that's bad. That's indicative of poor metabolic health. I'm going to give myself diabetes because my body had to like release some insulin. And that's not the case. Like if otherwise you're in decent metabolic health, your body, your insulin should spike when, when you eat carbs because you need to get that glucose out of your bloodstream. Insulin helps facilitate that. And it's very similar with cortisol. Like absolutely. If you have like pathological conditions related to cortisol, like Addison's disease, Cushing's disease, something like that, either too much or too little cortisol could be a major problem. But if it's just a matter of you expose your body to a stimulus where an elevation in cortisol is the appropriate response, you want that to occur. And it's not representative of any sort of problem. It's it's just like a normal hormonal response to the stressor. You know what this reminds me of? A lot of these these people will say like, We'll, we'll say you need to take adaptogens, right? Like these supplements, and they'll, they'll explain an adaptogen is something that helps your body deal with stress when it needs to, but that doesn't, you know, that isn't a bad thing for you overall. And it's like, yeah, kind of sounds like cortisol. cortisol is an adaptogen. It's doing that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it, it, uh, it like mediates the hormetic response to exercise. I think that like with, with something like cortisol or insulin, like people do have this idea that any like spike or elevation in the hormone is bad because they think the hormone is bad and kind of by extension, like any hormonal perturbation is like bad and scary and you should be afraid of it. But like, that's not really applied across the board. So, you know, you, if you look at it through the lens of this is a normal thing to experience given the the stressor or like the stimulus like it doesn't seem scary but like when you look at things like melatonin like your melatonin spikes during the evening but like no one's afraid of of that or like growth hormone spikes during the night and like no one is afraid of that but the the idea that yeah like if 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 people present a hormone as scary now suddenly any elevation of it is a scary thing but when people think that something's benign, they're like, oh, like it it spikes, it goes up and down. That's fine. Like, who cares? If like elevations in cortisol were like an inherently bad thing, like evolution would have sorted that out by now. Like we wouldn't produce cortisol in the first place. Uh, but yeah, it, it is just interesting to me how differently the lenses people look through this stuff are based on whether their preconceived notions are that a particular hormone is like a good hormone or a bad hormone when physiology is like dramatically more complex than that and we're a lot more adaptable than sometimes they give us credit for yeah. absolutely yeah we have a really broad overview i think at this point and have have realized that cortisol is not scary which is good um and we've talked a little bit about just like the list of claims being made on TikTok. But I think the next thing is digging in, zooming in on some of these specific claims um, being made about high cortisol and talking about the signs people are saying to look for, the causes, the treatments, and what we actually think about those things. Yeah. So we covered a lot of them, I think, but I'm going to mm -hmm. name a few and you guys jump in wherever you want. Um 
One thing that I thought was really interesting or funny is that when they talk about sleep disturbances, a lot of these are saying very specifically waking up at 3 a.m. This is why you're waking up at 3 a.m. And sometimes they'll they'll draw or they'll have some kind of like demonstration of the cortisol waking curve and um, and talk about 3 a.m. Or like the sign is you are waking up between 2 and 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, there is nothing specific to the time that you wake up. Um, although people must be searching this a lot because when I Google like, why do I wake up at 3 a.m.? There are so many SEO ready things ready to tell you exactly why that is. Um, fortunately, one of them, or I think two of them were from the Sleep Foundation, and they were like, there is nothing special about waking up at 3 a.m. If you are waking up in the night, here are some of the sleep issues that you might want to look at and some of the things you might want to do. Right, right. We we stand a scientific organization with good SEO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's rarer than you might think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for for sure. I love when they have that so that when somebody Googles that, they're not getting, you know, like some, you know, naturopath or whatever. They're getting like the Sleep Foundation saying, this is what you need to know. Yeah. Um, I also found out when I did this that you can look up the spiritual meaning of waking up at, you know, insert time here. So the spiritual meaning of waking up at 3 a.m. That is the witching hour or the devil's hour, it says. I think this is like a Christian website, maybe. Um, At 3 a.m., the veil between the living and the dead becomes thinner, allowing free passage between the two dimensions. Interdimensional creatures, ghosts, and demons creep into the world of the living, creating chaos and tormenting sleeping people. Wow. Um, Then they quote quote somebody who does mystic investigation, saying that if you wake up, legend has it that if you wake up at exactly 3 a.m. for no reason in a state of terror, then the devil has paid you a visit, literally, or in your dreams. Oh, no. Um. Uh, l- looking more at this website, I don't think it's a Christian site. I think it's just like a SEO, like woo woo site. Yeah. Um, their most recent article is spiritual meanings of colors, blue, yellow, violet, red, orange, green, just white, black, pink, and gray. Um, I personally love this allergies, yeah, that, spiritual meaning and causes. That I think is my favorite. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> there's another one, how to recognize an angel in human form. Hmm. Uh, the spiritual meaning of pain in different body parts. I I think that, that that's mostly just you're to, injured in a yeah. particular body part. But yeah, really fun stuff. Like this yeah, this, this seems to be a, a solid site. <laughs> you know, I, I just I just scrolled to the bottom of the waking up at 3 a.m. part and it says, what about waking up at 3.33 a.m.? And that may be a message from your guardian angel. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So, 33 minutes. The devil has left. Your guardian angel has yeah. come. So if you're waking up between 2 and 4 a.m., there are a lot of things this could mean. I didn't even get into the 2 a.m. ones. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. To be fair, that, to nobody on TikTok another... was saying this specifically, although I bet if I search spiritual meaning of waking up at 3 a.m. on TikTok, I will get a whole nother list of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If not, I'm sure that's soon to come. Yeah. that That's another topic for another day, though. <laughs> I was going to mention, um, like, the cortisol belly and the moon face thing. I think we kind of covered that about how it, it it just kind of hooks into all of the things people are already saying on TikTok about weight loss. And I did find it interesting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll see somebody show their cortisol transformation. They'll show, show old pictures of themselves compared to how they look now. And, like, they just lost weight. Yeah. It's like they didn't, they didn't have, like, a particular pathological appearance and then... Now they have fixed that. Like, it just looks like a person who lost weight. Mm -hmm. And if you lose weight and you have good before pictures that you can contrast with how you look now, you can make money on TikTok selling anything. That's so true. Those things are so viral. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. And and like the moon face thing kind of gets into, they'll talk about like you have swelling or you have lymphatic drainage and you need to do gua sha. So gua sha is 
um, it's a thing that has roots in like Chinese medicine and you and it involves like scraping like originally it would be like scraping your skin hard enough with like a, a blunt object to get like little petechiae like little signs of bruising oh, it's, wow. but it's become a beauty trend now so you can buy like fancy you know you can buy like a, a fancy smooth rock that's carved into a certain shape and you do that on your skin and it's supposed to like make your face prettier if you do it every night or something like that and so it's just like extremely it's just like a trendy beauty thing like mm-hmm. is it doing anything I'm I'm not sure. I'm not convinced, but it but people are like linking this in with the high cortisol thing because like there you can sort of like arguably make this connection. Um and this relates to like the lymphatic drainage, lymphatic massage, which is also a thing. There's another corner of TikTok and, you know, misinformation in general where people talk about like detoxing yourself. And if you do massage that that moves your lymph around, then that's helping your body to detox itself. Mm-hmm. Um I think you guys got into that in the the vibration plate episode, yeah. oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you vibrate all the lymph out of you. No, it stays in you, but like you vibrate it around. Just move That's it around. To be good. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mentioned painful periods are supposed to be one of the things that uh, that interacts with this whole situation. And so I was just curious. I went to ACOG, so the the oh, I always get mixed up what it stands for. The American College or Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do they say about painful periods? Did they mention anything about cortisol or about any of these things and or and or about like exercising on your period? And like, no, <laughs> they they do have a whole page about it. Go ahead and look it up. You know, if you do have painful periods, they'll talk about some things that can help and so on. And the literally the only thing it says about exercise, it does not say like, don't do this exercise during this week. It just uh, has like one very brief mention that it's good to do exercise most days if you can. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. These these oh, obstetricians man. and gynecologists are just not on board with the wisdom of TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there there are well-known analgesic effects of exercise. Like I, I could see how that could be beneficial or, you know, maybe the the acute cortisol increase during exercise could help with with other sensations of discomfort. I could believe that, you know, but also like they're telling you to Sometimes they're telling you, like, don't do that workout, stay home and do yoga. And, like, I could see that feeling good, you know? Yeah. So another one that comes up a lot is this interaction between caffeine and cortisol. And I know I mentioned this to you guys beforehand, and you might have some things to say about that. But, like, mm-hmm. I actually first heard about, like, this interaction in the the sense of, like, a life hack that I don't know if anybody – I don't know if this was ever validated in some way, but some, like, idea that some life hack dude had – was like, oh, well, if you have a cortisol response early in the morning, wait to have your coffee until like an hour or two later after that's peaked and maybe it'll work better then. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if it works better then. I still drink my coffee like shortly after I manage to get up and make my coffee. Mm -hmm. But there does seem to be at least an assumption or a belief on a lot of these social media things where they're talking about cortisol, where they seem to imply that like drinking coffee increases your cortisol or is bad for you because cortisol or something like that. And the studies that I found were mostly in rats and mostly using extremely high doses, mm-hmm. um, like 12 and a half to 100 milligrams per kilogram. Ooh. So I worked that out for myself. It would be like on the low end, like 800 some milligrams and on the high end, like seven grams i think oh my god yeah. for a 70 kilo person so it's like i don't i don't think that's what they're talking about i, I think that is slightly different because you, you have to do like the human equivalent dose conversion mm-hmm. which 
forget what it is for mice. It's like divide by 8.3 or 16. One of the two. Can't remember. Who cares? Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- it's a that, lot of caffeine. That is regardless like a shitload of caffeine. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like they're talking about the effect of like one morning cup of coffee. Right. Yeah. Um, so like. I think this is, again, one of those things where, like, there is a kernel of truth. Because, like, the the human research on caffeine, like, does suggest that as a stimulant, as with most stimulants, like, you take it and you do get in, like, an acute uh, cortisol response to it. But one, like, even if you're completely naive to the effects of caffeine, like, if you have no tolerance whatsoever, the increase in cortisol you get with caffeine usage isn't like particularly huge um and also it seems to all go away within a week so um something else i'll put in the show notes is there was a study from 2008 by lavallo and colleagues relatively large study like a sample size of 48 men and 48 women so like 96 people in total um where essentially they had people not use caffeine at all for five days And then they took either, and it was a crossover trial, so like everyone completed every condition. There was like a five-day resensitization washout like between each um, like arm of the study. Um, And all of these people basically had a week where they used no caffeine as their like quote-unquote treatment, 300 milligrams or 600 milligrams. Um, And in effect, like on the first day of a new caffeine week when they had not used caffeine for the five preceding days they were resensitized to it um on the first day there was an increase in in cortisol uh when they would take their caffeine dose but then by the end of the week the cortisol response like throughout the day was the same as it was uh when they didn't use caffeine at all so i mean there are a couple interpretations you could take away from that One is that either A, drinking coffee for just a week completely burns out your adrenals (laughs) such that you don't have any cortisol response anymore um, and you're just fucked. And that is definitely not the case because like if you look further into the data, like essentially taking caffeine didn't cause an elevation in cortisol, but like the normal diurnal cortisol response and like waking cortisol response and all of that was still the same. Like it was still totally normal or like the other interpretation is just that it's normal habituation to caffeine consumption, which is what I think it is. Mm -hmm. And like, you see that with um, like caffeine, I think is pretty misunderstood because it's not caffeine. Isn't a stimulant per se. And you do become habituated to a lot of this, like, quote unquote, like stimulatory effects. It's its main thing it does is it's a central adenosine antagonist. So like not to get too far afield, but like adenosine is it, it is something that functions as a hormone and it tends to have relaxing effects. And uh, there's there's a part in your brainstem that strongly influences like sleeping and wakefulness uh, it's your ascending reticular activating formation. And essentially, like caffeine binds to the same receptors as adenosine would, um, but it doesn't have a downstream effect. And so it's just kind of like clogging up those those receptors. And if adenosine bound to those receptors, it would like make you sleepy and decrease the wakefulness uh, that you experience. 
And so, like, that's the main thing caffeine does. Like, when people say, ah, caffeine helps me stay awake. Like, it does directly and mechanistically via that mechanism. But, like, if someone is naive to the effects of caffeine, like, if they just never use it, um, for the first, like, couple days you use caffeine, you do get an increase in epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, like, all of the classical responses that you would see to a, like, classical stimulant. Um... But those effects seem to mostly be downstream of like an acute dopaminergic response that becomes like fully attenuated within a couple days. And then within a couple days, you don't see that increase in epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, cortisol anymore. So, yeah, I mean, it it is the case that if someone is naive to the effects of caffeine, they will see a cortisol increase but if you use caffeine consistently, uh, you stop seeing a cortisol increase, and that's that's totally normal. So there is something that I've seen in a few places on TikTok where they say, okay, if you drink coffee, at least have it after breakfast. Mm -hmm. Is there any way you can think of that that would like affect your cortisol or affect any of these symptoms? Um, I think it's just people parodying uh, Andrew Huberman. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's the person that I think has largely popularized that. And, like, as far as I can tell, like, his, his reasoning for it is essentially just based on kind of, like, if A, then B, then C, then D, sort of, like, mechanistic reasoning. But in terms of direct, like, human experimental evidence on it, there's nothing. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, my, I mean, my perspective and... Like, I think that this is something that it's that it would be easy to get, like, too too concerned about potentially but like i do think that all else being equal it's good to consume your caffeine as early in the day as possible because like caffeine has a pretty long half-life mm -hmm. um like d depending on your your cyp1a2 genotype like it, it the half-life can vary between individuals but it's somewhere between like four and six hours give or take so like if you have a pretty hefty caffeine dose even even like first thing when you wake up, you might still have and, and you go to bed like 16 hours later to get eight hours of sleep. You might still have like that's four half lives. So like 50 percent, 25, 12. So like you, you could still have like five, 10 percent of the original caffeine you consumed in your system. And there was a there was a meta regression on this published earlier this year that I think projected that like two to 300 milligrams of caffeine consumption would still have some sort of negative impact on your sleep up to like 12 to 14 hours after consumption. I don't remember that for sure. Like I, I would need to look that up. But like, yeah, if, if you're someone who does kind of like the double shot first thing in the morning, I do think first thing in the morning is the play. Um, mm -hmm. Like if, if you delayed that by two or three hours, I, it could still have like a tangible mm -hmm. impact on your sleep. The er the earlier you consume it, just the more half lives you can get in, like the more of it's out of your system. So I kind of think in a vacuum, like earlier is better. But that makes sense. Who knows? And the other thing I was going to say about caffeine is, or like coffee intake first thing in the morning is that like, let's grant them their premise. All of it's true. Like caffeine uh, spikes your cortisol. That's bad, whatever. You don't want that. Even if we granted that, or, or like even if we granted that it does spike your cortisol, um, you would still have like an uphill battle to establish that it's bad. 
because like the the research on or at least like the epidemiological research on coffee intake and like health effects and mortality effects is like relatively positive um for the most part like people who drink more coffee have lower rates of cardiovascular disease and lower like incidence of all cause mortality than people who consume the least amount of coffee so i don't know like e- even if we grant it and say oh it spikes your cortisol like maybe it's well, worth it yeah th- that yeah. would suggest that maybe it's a good thing not a bad thing but I don't grant the premise because, yeah, you use if you use caffeine, you get addicted and you use it every day. Like, that's what we all experience. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you you habituate to it. And after a week, you don't you don't have like a larger daily area under the cortisol curve than you would have if you just never used it in the first place. So one thing that uh, I don't have a lot to say about, but I am curious if you have um, thoughts on this is. So a lot of the the TikToks about like what to do about your high cortisol, a lot of them are nutritional or they're related to supplements. So mm-hmm. of course everybody's selling a supplement and they'll say like foods to eat to lower your cortisol and they'll list what looks to me like just any just like a completely random list of foods. Like foods that sound healthy, you know, kale and whatever. Um and then always there'll be kale. <laughs> always kale. And there'll be supplements and once again, like literally every supplement. Sometimes they'll call out B vitamins. Sometimes they'll call out magnesium. Sometimes, but it, it it can be just about everything. And then they talk, like we said, about adaptogens. You can get a lot of these like adrenal support supplements. A lot of them have ashwagandha in it or whatever. Um, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Do you think there's any basis to this? Do you think there's anything that would make sense to to do besides just eating a normal, healthy diet? Um, I mean, maybe so I, I think I think it's plausible that like some of it could have an effect. Um, I think with with ashwagandha in particular, it does have some like anxiolytic properties. So like if you're I mean, I, I think I think those two things like dovetail pretty well. Like if if you're a relatively anxious person, you will be the type of person who is more likely to get caught in like diagnose your own hormonal mm-hmm. problems type of TikTok content. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, like I I don't know directly about the effects of ashwagandha on cortisol in particular, but like it does seem to be a mild anxiolytic and if people uh, like like they shouldn't, but if they associate high cortisol with feeling anxious, like if that's if, if they think like oh, these are two bad things, therefore they must go together. They might have the perception that ashwagandha is lowering their cortisol if it helps make them a little bit less anxious. And so I I kind of think that's where that connection is. Um, and then, like, as we've talked about a little bit already, generally cortisol is, like, the response to problems rather than the cause of problems. And so, like, if you are eating a generally bad diet, and, like, I, I don't want to... I don't want to say anything that could make it sound like I'm uh, like that on board with like inflammation gurus who just try to tie everything to like inflammation and like, oh, that's that's what's causing all of your problems. But like eating a poor diet can like increase basal levels of inflammation a little bit Um, like 
lower dietary quality is associated with like higher levels of C-reactive proteins, like various cytokines, like pro-inflammatory cytokines, IL-6, like all of that stuff. And so like in general, if you're in a just kind of worse health state, um, since cortisol also has like anti-inflammatory properties, uh, I could see it being plausible that if you have a bad diet, that might cause like a low-grade inflammatory response, and you therefore have higher cortisol levels as mm. as a result of that. Kind of makes sense. And so if you improve your dietary quality, like just eating good, it's not like a A to B thing. Like eating kale directly decreases cortisol levels, but like if it's a generally healthier diet, your basal levels of inflammation go down a little bit. I could see cortisol levels coming down a little bit. Uh, kind of just to go along with that. Um, but once again, it's it's like a cause and effect type of deal. Like if if your cortisol is elevated due to a bad diet, the problem is the bad diet, not the high cortisol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I could I could also be talking out of my ass like that. That is some that is something that I would find plausible, but I don't know it to be the case. I mean, if somebody were to follow these recommendations that you know, I see a bunch on TikTok and they're, they start like eating more protein and they start eating right. more vegetables and whatever. Like it's, it's, it's hard to argue that that's a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Although I think, I do think if they start like spending a lot of money on, you know, this influencer's favorite adrenal support supplements, like a lot of these things are very expensive and, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll recommend two or three of them that are each like 50 bucks for a month's supply. And that could get real expensive real quick. And who knows if they're contaminated. Yeah. Who knows what's in them? Yeah. But most of these treatments that they recommend like you said seem you know just good advice like better sleep hygiene eating a little bit better but obviously if somebody is actually having an issue with cortisol they need to go to the doctor yeah you know if they're having an issue with cortisol or if they're having an issue with any of these symptoms that you know are problematic right like mm-hmm. um the, this endocrinologist who you know, had the podcast about adrenal fatigue, he was like, yeah, a lot of the people who come in complaining about night waking because they think there's something going on with their adrenal glands, like, I, I refer them for a sleep apnea test mm-hmm. because sometimes that might be the thing that is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like, part of what really concerns me about this and why I think it's, like, worth talking about is because, like, the stuff people say on social media about cortisol is just, like, this... I find it, like, dangerous and problematic how how they blend together things that are very mild and common with things that are very severe mm-hmm. and, like, medical issues. And then, like, the fixes for them as well, right? Like, they're, like, eat more protein and also, you know, like, do these other things that are more drastic, right? And so, like, to hear them tell it, high cortisol is both something that is so significant that you must fix it and fixing it will change your life but it's also minor enough that you don't need to go to a doctor about it and you can fix it yourself with lifestyle changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, it can't be all of those at the same time. Yep. And so that's where I think about like this article about the, the woman who had some of these signs and like, she was going to doctors and doctors were saying like, well, you're stressed out, you're planning a wedding, you know? And and then she was still sick after the wedding and they're like, well, are you in a happy marriage? Are you sure? And you know, then it turned out she had cancer, you know, (laughs) that was like causing this Mm -hmm. high cortisol and everything. So if you do have, um, like, symptoms that are severe enough to be impacting your life, like, seek medical care for that, right? And, like, I, and, and like, I always like to work, instead of, like, working backwards from what I think I might have, be like, okay, if my problems are sleep-related, who do I talk to about that? Or mm-hmm. if my problems are related to, you know, whatever it might be, like, who do I talk to about that instead of guessing at what 
the reason might be, mm -hmm. and then trying to like seek out a specific diagnosis. Yeah. And like, if you do think you have a medical issue associated with cortisol, like you can go to your doctor, you can see an endocrinologist, like they study this and it's like fairly well studied in terms of what kinds of tests do we need to do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't, don't put your health in the hands of somebody who like calls himself a hormone coach on TikTok. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something you alluded to is like the, the idea of like, trying to take ownership of your own health versus like self-diagnosing. And I think that those are two very different things. And one of the things that frustrates me the most is like when, when people just get like too out over their skis when discussing like mechanisms and causes of things. Um, and, and the reason that I think that that's problematic is like it, it turns, it turns it into a story, mm -hmm. you know, it's less just like, oh, hey, you're not feeling good. Here are some things to try. You know, like that is just that's just like decontextualized advice. And like it might be responsible, but it's not going to be that sticky. But then if you can tell people you're feeling this way and there's this hormone that does this thing and it causes it like you can you can tell. I mean, th there's a plot there. And you get to make some of the connections yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But like that, that I think just sticks in the human mind better. Um even though it's often like very irresponsible and it is, I think kind of the switch that can be flipped between, yeah, just like taking ownership of your health and saying like, Oh man, like I feel really tired in the morning all the time. Um, like maybe I'll try to do some general sleep hygiene stuff, or, uh, maybe I'll try to do like a little bit of morning exercise to see if that puts some pep in my step. Or, uh, I already take a shower at night, but like, maybe I'll just run a hot shower in the morning to kind of like help perk me up. You know, like there's, there's any number of things you could try that would be responsible. And then like, if it's really bad, you know, like you really, really struggle to get out of bed, you try a couple things, it doesn't work. Then you're like, okay, like I, I gave it my best shot and I'll go to a doctor. Cause like, it seems to be beyond my realm to, to handle this and correct it versus like self-diagnosing where, you know, instead of saying, hey, I have this thing, what's some like common sense stuff I can do to try to address it? You go to, you go down the rabbit hole of saying, oh, like I'm going to figure out what the cause is. The cause is high cortisol. Um, and then I'm going to make myself like paranoid about all of the other things that might be going on in my life. And and it's easy to like experience some confirmation bias there because mm -hmm. like once you say, oh, I feel tired in the morning because of high cortisol, then you you know, you might see something like, oh, like high cortisol also causes bloating. And you're like, oh, I'm bloated sometimes. It's like, well, fucking everyone's bloated sometimes, you know, but like mm -hmm. you interpret that as like further confirmation that you have high cortisol. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, like sometimes I struggle getting to sleep. That's another high cortisol thing. It's like, yeah, but it's also any number of other things, you know. And so it, it becomes easy to just like not only self-diagnose, but like further and further reinforce the self-diagnosis and then get caught in this information space that says, okay, now that you self-diagnosed it, uh, we know what you need to do to correct it. And it's not go to a doctor, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. it, um, I, I think starts at a good place of someone like trying to take more ownership of their health and like not overuse medical resources and go to the doctor anytime something's like slightly off. But like it, it leads you down a very different road where, uh, as you mentioned, like if someone does actually have a legitimate medical problem, 
caused by high cortisol, um, they don't need maximal self-efficacy that they can treat it themselves. You know, like they do need to go to the doctor. And I think that that is the danger in a lot of this stuff. Like a lot of the recommendations are ultimately relatively benign, but there's there's a lot of risk if you're going the self-diagnosis route instead of actually seeking real medical care if there is something seriously wrong. And ultimately, you as a layperson may not be in the best position to know when something is seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's definitely like I can see how it's it's like almost entertaining to sort of like enter this rabbit hole. Right. Because you you get this this narrative like you're talking about, like, oh, I, now I understand why I'm having this. Oh, and it explains this and it explains this. And it seems like things are getting clearer. But as you follow this rabbit hole, like it branches, you know, there are mm-hmm. 900 different things that the people on TikTok say that you should do, depending on who you listen to or which video they're making that day. And so. It ends up getting even more confusing, meanwhile, taking you away from, you know, like whatever starting point you were at before you went down the rabbit hole. And so now you have all of these things that you've supposedly learned, but you haven't necessarily gotten any more clarity about what you should actually do with yourself. Yeah. Except buy more supplements. Yeah. Always buy more supplements. <laughs> yeah. Check out my discount code. Link in bio. Yeah. You, you may not wind up with less cortisol, but you will wind up with less money. That's true. What are What are some of your... Just kind of like general thoughts and and takeaways at the end of this discussion, Beth. So yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that. Like, what what can we take away from this besides like go to the doctor if you have a, a real problem? Um, and I, I think it's kind of meta, but one of my biggest takeaways as I've been scrolling through all of this is how different kinds of misinformation just like eat each other up. Mm-hmm. Even things that totally conflict with each other, like adrenal fatigue and high cortisol, like all you have to do is mention them in the same video. And now you've gained the powers of everything people have heard about adrenal fatigue and everything they've ever heard about stress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you can like add in people's anxieties about weight loss and you make mm-hmm. this this sort of like this Kirby or this Voltron that's like gained the powers of all the different parts of it. Um, and... And that has all these promises about how, you know, a stack of supplements can change your life. Or if it's not this supplement, it's going to be this other thing. And, like, I find this, like, extra dangerous because if one of those things doesn't make sense or you try it and it doesn't work for you or you find out that, like, oh, that's not real, um, all the other ones are still there. And this myth can just, like, keep on going forever. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I, as I was doing this, I came across, like, a Reddit for adrenal fatigue. And so it says, like, right up front, like, you know, adrenal fatigue is not you know, recognized diagnosis, but then people start talking about like, I have HPA axis dysregulation or dysfunction. And like, mm-hmm. you, it, it's just sort of like gets to move its own goalposts as it goes, because it's like this conglomeration made of everything. Um, and this, I think, also kind of ties into like what TikTok is as a format. And like we said, this applies to lots of social media, like t- TikTok is like a really good example to point at right now. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, it's not the only one that works this way. And, like, ultimately, TikTok is just a collection of performances that you get to scroll through. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of creators, it really seems to be, like, a game. Like, you see what other people are saying and then say, okay, how can I make some – like, this is what people are talking about. How can I make my video, my own video that has my own spin on the thing that everybody else is saying? And, like, what can I say that's going to get clicks? Um, and, like – make it in a way where you think like more people will watch and share yours than another one. Yeah. Like as I was scrolling through, I found I found like videos that were like duplicates of each other, but like with a different person in it, 
saying it in a different way, but like ultimately like making the exact, it looked like they were using the same script and Mm -hmm. you can tell one person saw the others and was like, oh, I can do that better. Right. And like, maybe it's a better video in terms of, you know, engagement, but you know, you think you're getting information and what you're really doing is you're like watching performances and providing clicks to this algorithm. You know, these are not necessarily people that have your health as their goal. Here's a question for you, Beth. Um, on TikTok, the supplements being recommended and and s- some of the treatments that you would pay money for, um, how often did people have like affiliate codes or discount always, codes? Always, always, and 100%. <laughs> was it a relatively small number of brands? That's a good question. I've, I've not done like a good... Um, like a real survey of this. And I know some, sometimes some of the other things that I've looked at, um, you know, not the cortisol, but some of the other ones, like I would definitely see the same ones popping up over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really interesting to go through and like study the number of brands. There is definitely like affiliate link, affiliate marketing stuff going on here. I am sure there is MLM stuff behind some of it. I did mm-hmm. not have the time to dig behind all of this, but um, yeah, I think you've got a good instinct there. I, I, I suspect a lot of it might be just like completely synthetic because the thing about supplements in particular is like they have uh, on, on the worst of days for the supplement industry, they tend to have great margins and on the best of days uh, and the best of days are when you can repackage something that's relatively cheap, but sell it for a particular purpose that people are concerned about and therefore willing to pay money for i.e. B vitamins, fucking dirt cheap, but say, oh, now it's basically medicine mm-hmm. uh, and you can mark it up instead of like four times, ten times. Um, now now you're in a situation where you have a product that has crazy margins and so you can reach out to influencers and say, hey, I'm sure other uh, supplement companies have reached out to you, but like I can give you a better deal. And also... This is this new thing, like what whatever uh, health concern people have been talking about, like that's already played out. People people have yeah. seen this content already, um, but like no, no one's talking about the cortisol yet. You know, you can get in on the ground floor, or uh, you know, m- once it gets going, you can say, "Hey, look, like the, the I I'm this person from a supplement company. These five other influencers are already promoting this product and like making all of this money from it. Like, do you want to get in too? Um, and yeah. like here here's the ad copy. It, like w- when you said a lot of the videos seem to be like basically identical with just like things presented slightly different ways. That was the first place mm. my brain went. I'm like, this is. It might be monkey see monkey do, but I think it's mostly uh, affiliate marketing and people reading like close variations of the same script. And a lot of this just being like synthetically driven from the top down. Oh, see, now now I want to go through and like draw a family tree of these videos. I go like, like who who has the supplements? Like, what are the supplements linked in this one? What are the supplements linked in this one? I would not be surprised at all if you're absolutely right about that. If, If the ones that have like very like very, very, very similar sounding copy and like very, very similar sounding claims. If they're coming from the same supplement company, like I I almost promise you that's what's happening. Yeah. And then those are going to be all the big influencers. And then like the smaller, the people with smaller follower counts are just going to copy those. And yeah, they, they, they want to seem like the big influencers. They want to be doing the trendy thing. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's just all the way down. Yep. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. 
Greg, did you have any takeaways you wanted to get into? Uh, I think I think Beth had one more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to to mention that, like, in terms of of your own health, like, just be thoughtful about distinguishing between things that are so minor or so mild that you can experiment with lifestyle changes on your own to deal with them versus issues that affect you so much that you need professional help. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, you know, I which I think like you you pretty much nailed um, a minute ago, and just like go to go to a person that specializes in the thing that you think is wrong with you, you know, like not a, a hormone balance coach, you know, and not, you know, and not like a chiropractor. If you think you have a hormone issue, go to an endocrinologist. Like mm-hmm. this is a thing they exist. Like go and see one. Of yeah. Them. This is a, this is a specific thing. This is a specific thing that like, I feel like there is like a very good professional you can go to. Whereas like that is not always the case. And yeah. people turn to kind of like more holistic remedies because they don't necessarily have a good doctor that's going to listen to them that has good tests to run that they can go to but like this seems like one of those things that you can just go to an endocrinologist and they can just do a couple tests and put you on some medicine and they'll they'll know or run some tests and say you don't need medicine right yeah yeah you might feel bad but it's not because of your cortisol that's not to say that all of these are you know like super straightforward like part of why you know this is sort of like interesting and weird is like even a hormonal like things that we know are hormonal are, you know, like complex, right? Because hormones have lots of effects on our body and lots of things can affect our hormones. It's not like it's always an open and shut case, but, you know, give yourself the best chance of getting it solved by going to somebody who has relevant expertise. Absolutely. No, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. I, I do wonder the extent to which that that is kind of like an indictment of our healthcare system because <laughs> yeah it, it, this could just be that i'm on like the american internet and it could be the exact same dynamics everywhere but like i get the feeling that a lot of this is like a very particular american neuroses or like neurosis and it's not as big other places and like i don't know like i, I wonder how much it is like getting medical care is expensive and oftentimes like very depersonalizing um because like the doctors themselves are very overworked and they might only be able to give you like five or ten minutes of time and so like you you uh, like quote-unquote alternative health stuff just feels more accessible because like you can buy some supplements for 50 bucks instead of like needing to pay 50 dollars just to step inside the doctor's office and like 300 dollars for some blood tests and whatnot um or more if you don't have insurance and also, like, you you can at least get the feeling that the people in the videos are like you and care about you. Whereas, like, your doctor probably does care about you, but they only have, like, five minutes to express that before they before they need to move on to the next patient, which isn't their preference. Like, they don't like that either, yeah. but it's just kind of the way it works. Like, I, I wonder how much that influences a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. I, I think that's a big part of it, but also having, you know, like, talked to some people who are into this stuff and you know back back when goop did their first big conference i went and i like talked to some people about like just like oh why are you interested in this stuff and something that keeps coming up was just people who either they or a family member had like a medical issue and like doctors couldn't help mm-hmm. and you know some of it is like issues that we have with our healthcare system and some of it is issues that any healthcare system has but a lot of it is just like not everything is a problem that's easy to solve mm-hmm. you know like some of them boiled down to like a family member had cancer and that sucked and they couldn't fix it and they died. And like not every problem is easily solvable. And even when you know what the thing is, not every solvable 
problem is easily fixable. Mm -hmm. And like, that's sort of the nature of medicine, you know, so far in, in history, like maybe someday we'll have everything, you know, able to be like fixed instantly. I don't think so. But, you know, I think some of it is sort of like an existential, like you can't fix everything. Doctors can't fix everything. Mm -hmm. But if I go to this naturopath, they'll at least talk to me and make me feel better. And then I'm going to trust them to fix everything. And if they haven't, you know, maybe we just haven't fixed it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I yeah, I think that kind of this the snaking and rabbit hole of like potential diagnoses and treatments like I think that does a lot of work for uh, like naturopaths as well. Because mm -hmm. like with with a doctor, it's like, oh, hey, you think you have a cortisol issue? Let's run these tests. Either you do. Here's a drug. Uh, and, you know, branching issue from that, like, yeah, do you need something else to help manage side effects? Do we need to titrate dose? Whatever. Like, it's relatively, like, straightforward. Um, or it's just like, oh, no, like, you think that's what your problem is. We ran the test. It's not that. Uh, do you want to do just more broad spectrum testing? Or uh, do you want to leave? And a lot of people will leave. Whereas, like, with natural health folks, it's just like, oh, like, it's, it's a lot more loosey-goosey. It's like... We're going to do a bunch of these like free form tests that like you have a billion degrees of freedom to interpret however you want. So like if you say, ah, it's cortisol, here's like five things we can try. First one didn't work. Ah, that's fine. On to the next one. Ah, next one didn't work. Ah, on to the next one. Well, well, okay, none of these worked. But based on all of these just kind of nebulous tests we did, there's like 17 other things it could be. So like, let's get on to the next one. And, and I think that that's often like perceived as like caring and holistic yeah it feels like they're on a journey with you and you're navigating it together versus yeah a doctor who's just like well if it's not that thing then you know i don't know maybe take more of that drug or maybe i'll refer you to another specialist and you'll have to start over yeah yeah and, and i i think that it's i think that it's challenging because i do think a lot of like natural health folks are like they they believe everything they say and they're very well intentioned like i i think that is the majority of them mm -hmm. but it's also if I were a grifter, that's exactly how I would do it as well. Because it's it's functionally yeah. you've given yourself the longest leash possible to keep <laughs> someone on the hook for years and years and keep draining them of money even if you never help them. Because, like, you keep dangling the carrot of hope in front of them. They're like, oh, there's there's always the next thing we can try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I had a couple takeaways from this as well. Um one is that I think that it elucidates a lot of the the problems that people have with single factor thinking. So like most of the things that people are attributing to high cortisol are just kind of like vague symptoms being described that could have any number of causes or that might just be completely normal. Again, like the tired in the morning, wired at night. I keep coming back to that because like I have an extreme late chronotype and that's just my life mm -hmm. and my cortisol is normal. And like, I've tried ev everything I can to like be more of a morning person. Cause like the world is built for morning people, but like I can't, you know, and there are people like me and it's normal and it's annoying, but it's fine. And like, I, it doesn't need to be like interpreted as, as high cortisol causing that. Um, but yeah, like, like, vague symptoms that could be caused by any number of things or are completely normal. And there's a desire by a lot of these folks just to chalk it all up to cortisol. And I think that that's like a natural human thing to do because 
It helps like simplify a problem, which gives people a greater sense of agency. Like it gives you the idea that there's a lot of stuff going on in your life that you don't like and a lot of things that are making you feel bad. And there is there is a single cause. And if you can address that one thing, everything else will go away. Um, and I think that that's inherently alluring to folks because it's just simply easier than making like really, really significant lifestyle changes to take a more broad spectrum approach to address a lot of problems that you might be experiencing. And then like to step out even further, I think that it's emblematic of something that's like really common in American culture in particular, although I assume that it's the case other places as well. And that's the idea of like substituting in uh, like notions of like personal responsibility Mm -hmm. instead of looking for like collective or systemic or systematic solutions to things. Like one of the things that jumped out to me, both in like reading about cortisol in general and going through the content of this episode is that a lot of the things that people attribute to high cortisol just sound like symptoms of general fatigue and burnout. And also, like, if it is a cortisol thing, like, if if these people are going through life with high cortisol, then that is truly causing all of these problems for them. Uh, their cortisol might be sky high because they're so fatigued and stressed mm-hmm. and burnt out. Um Due to everything else going on in their life. Again, like switching cause and effect. Just like stuff in your life sucks. And that's what's making your cortisol high and making you feel bad. Versus high cortisol being the cause of the problems. I think that that's like an easier way to look at it. Like framing it through the lens of personal responsibility. Like, oh, you have high cortisol. That is your problem. And it is therefore incumbent upon you to fix it to make yourself feel better. Um, And I think it's also generally more profitable because instead of saying like, hey, there's a lot of just general stuff that's bad and uh, we might have to invest money collectively to fix those things. Instead, you can say, hey, you have this problem and you can pay me money and buy a product that will fix it. You know, uh, buy some supplements, buy some blue light blocking glasses, come to my like somatic treatment center Um, and so, yeah, like that's both, both easier and more profitable than doing things like, you know, if, if you're, if you're like fatigued and stressed and burnout because you're living in like a precarious financial situation, like the majority of Americans are like, what's Mm -hmm. the statistic? Like 60% of people are one paycheck away from, from getting put on the streets. Um, or like your, your job sucks. Cause like your workplace isn't organized and you have no labor protections and you work in a at-will employment state. So you might just be shit canned anytime. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like you're in a bad relationship and have like no social support because a lot of like social systems have broken down and uh, you know, you don't have that much free time to develop a robust friend group and you had to move three hours away to find a job instead of being able to stay close to family and your support network. Like, there, there, there are a lot of things that, like, could be making you feel shitty. And, like, the solutions to those problems are tough. Like, mm-hmm. you know, organizing for better working conditions and better wages. Like, agitating and organizing for, like, a more robust social safety net. So you don't feel like 
the the gripping anxiety of just like if you have one bad day on the job and get fired like you're fucked a month from now if you can't find something else um you know like advocating for like better urban planning so there are like more and better public spaces for like being social and like having meaningful connections with people in real life like a lot of those things would make people feel fucking better and that's (laughs) yeah harder and less profitable than just saying like hey buy some b vitamins you know yeah and and a lot of these you know like they'll say like well eat your kale and go for walks and whatever and it's like to some extent like that is itself aspirational like how many Mm -hmm. people have a place where they can easily and safely go for a walk in the morning or whatever hour they want how many people are are getting like are buying all of these supplements and have the money to buy all these supplements and stuff and like yeah yeah no and i totally agree with all that all of this we live in like a capitalist hellscape that is making our lives most of us making our lives worse and we do not have a lot of power to change that yeah yeah i mean it's uh i i mean i mean i should i should not be such a downer we should take upon ourselves the power that we do have to change that absolutely unionize your workplace if you don't know how to do that get in touch with me i'll put you in touch with somebody but yeah but it sucks yeah so yeah that's not a particularly happy note to close on but i i do think that there's i i i feel like i would be doing a disservice by not mentioning that because like Mm -hmm. cortisol stress hey why are people stressed like uh there's there's a lot of stuff that you can't fix by taking a pill or tapping on your forehead yeah and like there's a lot of research on like the effects of stress on on health you know like social Mm -hmm. determinants of health and and things that like really do have you know a major effect poverty racism like these things have huge effects on your health maybe some of that's mediated by cortisol you know um but yeah so um yeah yeah buy my supplements that'll help (laughs) All right, so yeah, the the link to so most most of these adrenal support supplements are bullshit. But Beth is actually launching a line of legit adrenal support supplements. Uh, use code SBSPOD at checkout. Link will be in the description. No, complete if, if, joke. If my boss joke. is listening, this is a joke. Okay. Seriously, uh, thanks so much for coming on this. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Are, are there any closing thoughts you would like to leave the listeners with? Or tell people where they can find you. Well, that was going to be my next question. Oh, sorry. Okay, fine. Let me, let okay, me skip. Lindsay, Lindsay is doing the outro. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, so I'll skip to that one. Because um, I think I said everything I wanted to say. Um, so uh, you can find me at Beth SKW on all the social medias. I think I do have a TikTok. I have exactly one video and it's a very silly one. And um, and I'm on Instagram for my lifting stuff. But most of what I do is I write for Lifehacker. So you can go to lifehacker.com and uh, read all our stuff and uh, enjoy. Thanks so much, Beth. Thanks, Beth. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>